Chief Joseph and his tribe bred beautiful horses on the banks of the Palouse River. The breed became known as the Appaloosa. Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. This week on the podcast, we're talking my pick, Appaloosa, directed by and starring Ed Harris from 2008. One of only two movies I think he's directed, as far as I know. I was trying to watch Pollock, but I didn't get around to it. Mm. Today would have been a perfect day, but I had to watch Holidaysburg instead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. We'll get to why I watched that. It's very interesting. Um, yeah, so we're going to talk about Appaloosa. We're going to talk about lots of other stuff we watched. Criterion challenge picks and so forth. It's a rainy Tuesday. Mm. Recording in a weird time. Weird week. Weird day. Weird time of day. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Doing okay. We're firing on all cylinders today, guys. Hell Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, oh, you know what we didn't talk about before we started recording? Mm. Trailers. Trailers. Mm. Yeah. Oh, we've got to talk about Stillwater. Just, hey, right? just toss them out. We got. <laughs> okay, so the, all got, the trailers uh, are awesome. Movies are back. I, Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon has brought movies back. It really is true. I mean, not that Matt Damon brought movies back, but movies definitely the, over this past week. So many like sort of big trailers dropped. For movies that uh, are apparently coming out in theaters uh, mm. now that many businesses and states and uh, so forth have lifted mask mandates. And uh, so we're just ready for another round of, uh, you know, COVID to beat the shit out of us. It's definitely coming. <laughs> that's, a, that's a baby. Sorry. That's, yeah, that's JR's kid. Mm. That's all right. Beautiful. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this like there's a wave of trailers this week, including the new Venom trailer, featuring uh, what might be. I'm gonna. I'll just say it now. Haven't seen the movie. Haven't seen the first one. But I'm. I'm. I'm gonna assume this is gonna be Woody Harrelson's darkest hour as an actor. Uh, oh, I thought you were gonna say Tom Hardy's be. best performance. <laughs> <laughs> it might be that too. I don't know. But uh, I don't know. He he just looks. Woody Harrelson looks so ridiculous in this. I mean, mm. I understand the impulse to cast him as Carnage, knowing who Carnage is, but it does feel like he's about twenty years late in this role. Yeah, and this is also—I mean, this is uh, this is Ruben Fleischer doing Fleischer things. And no, Ruben Fleischer didn't the... direct it. What? He didn't do no, the second Andy one. Cir- Andy Serkis is doing it. <laughs> Why? Oh my goodness! I know, right? Well, so it's, but Ruben Fleischer step down or step up. I'm not sure. Fleischer, Fleischer <laughs> did cast Harrelson. He, oh, right. he was in, in the, the first one. He right. was in the, the tag, like the sure. after credits tag. Mm. Yeah, I guess yeah. Fleischer was busy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, better things to do. Mm. <laughs> Relatively speaking. I mean, I don't know. Circus, as a, as a director, I think, I mean, the only thing Circus has really done is uh, the Jungle Book movie and that mm. other, that like drama about that person who was crippled or whatever. Did anyone see him? It was was Mowgli, right? The uh, Jungle Book movie? Yeah, it was Mowgli. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the The, dark version. Yeah. The dark one. Which is... (laughs) 
I mean, it's one of those rare, <laughs> or not rare, but common occurrences where you've got the mm. two, two movies coming out in the same year that had, you know, are like from the same source mm. material or are very similar in some way. Right. Yeah, because I think Favreau's Disney version came out first, and then Circuses came out. Yeah, he did. Um, okay, so he did a TV movie called Ruins of the Empire. Ruins of Empires. Mm. Which I don't know what the Star fuck Wars that TV is. movie? No. <laughs> oh, it's it must be a music thing. There's only two people in it. Um and then he did the movie Breathe, which is I believe about someone who is crippled or like paralyzed. Mm. Andrew Garfield, an adventurous couple who give up in the face of a devastating disease. Or refuse to give up. Sorry, of course they don't. They don't give up. Mm. <laughs> yeah, looks like it looks like an absolute nightmare. Just looking at screenshots. Mm. Yeah, N- not a ton um, of conflict if they just give up. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Real quick, it'd be yeah. a more more interesting uh, story, maybe. So, anyways, yeah. Venom. Let there be carnage is coming. I'm sure mm. it'll be a big hit, just like the first one was. Uh, we've got the finally. We've got a Benedetta trailer. The new um, Paul Verhoeven, religious, salacious. I don't know, thriller? I don't know what you'd call this. A historical I, I drama? I don't even know. I call it yeah. Paul Verhoeven can't help himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's, it's an just... international trailer, so you get to see a little nudity in there. It's a, it's <laughs> a weird trailer, you know. That was unexpected. Or... Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested to see it. I just uh, I don't I... have a ton of faith in Verhoeven at this point, but I mean... Mm. I, don't, I don't know, man. Like, uh... I'm trying to think of like his most recent movies I've seen, L and Black Book, and yeah, I like both. I like both of those, mm. even well, though I Black Book seen... is now 15 years old. Right, I haven't seen Black Book. I did. I liked L. I didn't love it, um, but you know, I mean, I think he's still. It's possible he could make something good. He's one of those weird directors who's like in. He's sort of like in a situation where he's still working, but he's working on these like really. Uh, small budgets compared to what he used to have when he was a big deal mm. like sort of like a De Palma or a, um, I mean to a lesser extent uh, Coppola and it's it's just unfortunate like I'd like to see him I'd like to see him do another blockbuster honestly I know he hasn't done one in 30 years but it'd be nice to see mm. anyways he's, yeah. Then we, yeah go ahead I was going to say he's I mean he's also just like too old now he, he ain't coming back <laughs> to America, right? He's like he's mid eighties, I think. Is wow. he? I don't know. Yes, that sounds about right. Mm. So uh, the big, I guess, the biggest sort of, as far as star power goes, the biggest trailer has to be Stillwater from uh, the director of uh, Stop Stoplight. What's that movie called? Station Agent. No, oh, the this. other one. Where they won the Oscar for. What about the Catholics? Spotlight. Spotlight. Oh. <laughs> you really fucked me up with Stoplight. I was like, what? Yeah, I was like, stop, I was like Sp- Stoplight? No, spotlight. They shine a spotlight <laughs> and, on know. the crimes of the Catholic Church. Mm. Yeah. Um, Tom, which I Tom didn't, McCarthy, I didn't, right? Yeah, Tom McCarthy. I didn't hate Spotlight. I didn't love it. And uh, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen anything else he's done. I know mm. that, like, that. I think that same year, earlier in the year, he came out with uh, The Cobbler which is supposed to be like absolutely atrocious. That is supposed to be garbage. I never saw that, but I did see um The Visitor, which has a really good uh, Richard Jenkins role, Station Agent, which I absolutely loved in high school. I 
scared to revisit that one, but uh, mm, he's got, Did he do? Uh, I think he did the Paul Giamatti like kids wrestling one too. Kids wrestling or like teen? Yeah, like Paul Giamatti is like mentoring a teen. Um, <sighs> like win win, I think it's called. Oh, mm. oh yeah, win win. Okay, I, did he I do that? I, ca- I can't. Really, I don't know. I'm looking it up that. right now. Yeah. Let me look him up. I know. Yeah, like, it's uh, s- sorry. Go ahead. Like when um, I watched Station Agent, um, I don't know. It must have been like five. Well, maybe maybe longer than that now. But uh, I remember watching it. and It was like, oh, like uh, just Peter Dinklage in you know your average run of the mill indie movie because you know like first twenty minutes or so of the movie, there's like no dialogue and um, you know like sad sparse piano music and then like you know peter dinklage is you know the typical introvert and you know then bobby cannavale shows up to break him out of his shell shell and then he falls in love with patricia clarkson oh kind of sorry right and Uh, that's you know and and, and we just hit on why john will never watch this movie exactly Uh, i I love bobby cannavale i watch anything with him and don't you you don't love patty no love you don't love patty clark's I, I mean, don't. I hate. I hate Patricia Clark. So. But and she's that's. Not even so, in I'm the, not going to say in this. Wrong. Yes, oh, yeah, sure, yeah. She's, she's like, like the second or yeah. third lead. Oh, like, gross. She's in the yeah. poster. She's gross. I can't stand her. I. I mean, Kevin. Every everything you've said, I, I believe it, and I absolutely <laughs> believe this is probably a movie that like hit hit me like when I was 17 or 18. Like, like mm. I'm just so sensitive and over eager and this is hitting all the right notes even if those absolutely. notes are probably bullshit now absolutely jr yeah, yeah. you gave this a five <laughs> i know <laughs> no i uh i yeah loved this without reservation yeah there's just no way it's a five-star movie at all mm. well you know what maybe we'll find it's impossible out. we'll, we'll find out next week <laughs> is this on your list <laughs> It, it it is on my list, but I don't yeah. think we're gonna go oh, with okay. it this week. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'll. I mean, if you choose it, I'll watch. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No trouble watching. I remember when it came out; it was like a big deal. I mean, mm. good reviews and so forth. Um, didn't it win like the Sundance Award or whatever? I'm pretty sure it won something. Mm. It definitely won Some kind of something. Like I remember, um, like I heard about it because, like, um, in one of Kevin Smith's uh, Q and A DVDs, uh, there was a little person who was talking to him about, you know little people in movies and they were talking about mm. station agent. Um, so I was like, Oh, you know, I'll check it out. And by that time I had seen some game of Thrones. So I was like, Oh, Peter Dinklage and, um, uh, boardwalk the, empire. Um, so kind of volleys. And right. Right. But it then I was the like, Oh, play award at, uh, the spirit awards and, and the BAFTAs. Oh, right. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, typical, Early two thousands indie movie, indie fair. trash. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure it is. Yeah. You know, I I would like to be more polite about it than that, but you know, it's yeah. Well, um, yeah, and he did do win win. You were right about that. Mm. Um, so, anyways, uh, what what's the movie? That Stillwater is the the recent <laughs> oh, yeah. one, right? Which is a thriller yeah. about uh, Matt Damon. Playing a uh, redneck Trump supporter who loses his daughter in Paris for some reason. What mm. happens to her? She's she, she murdered or something? Or yeah, she murders it, somebody, right? Or like her roommate murders somebody? Her, she's accused of murdering her roommate. Which oh. so this is like the Amanda this is Knox. like that huge. Oh, yes, thank right, you. Right, right, right. This yeah. looks like Amanda Knox. Uh, 
except a that weird in- a weird taken thriller based on Amanda Knox. Right. Like I don't think in the Amanda Knox actual in reality, I don't think her father came to Paris and like tried to beat people up to save her or whatever mm. he was doing in this movie. What's what's the line um, like like someone's like, You're acting like a real American right now? He's like, Good. Or just I know. He says he says he says, Good, I am <laughs> Oh, he's the worst. I can't stand... I, I just don't... You know, the the whole... I would honestly... I would probably see this movie... I will. Or or be like mildly, you know... Like, I don't want to see it. I'll probably see it anyways. But I would be actually like, you know, mildly curious to see it. If he wasn't playing like a redneck with a, with a trucker hat, a camo trucker hat... I just don't get the... the why present him this way? Why mm. make this character this person... Yeah, like I mean, is it enough know. that he's from America? Does he have to be like the most patriotic America loving son of a bitch there is? You know, it's just right. so goofy. I can't. Yeah. I don't, it totally turns me off. Well, I mean, and that's I, I, I texted you guys this. There is some definite physical acting going on as well. There are there are shots where like what he's doing with his chin and jawline are just <laughs> just like f- freaky. The way he's like jutting everything out. I'm just like. Put put your jaw back where it goes. Not every redneck has a deformed face, Matt Damon. Jesus Christ! I don't know. They were they were probably like, would he dip in this scene? Nah, he probably wouldn't dip. Would he dip in this scene? Eh, maybe. Nah, he can, wouldn't dip. Can American dip go through customs? I wonder if they'll show mm. him dipping. Like, will he be? He does. Doesn't he spit at some point in the movie trailer? I hope so. Right. I might have to do something I, else. So or like I they may explain think, that as like a tick where you like he used to dip but you know he still looks like he's got get, a dip. Could we get 90 minutes of Matt Damon in trucker garb just like walking through the streets of Paris spitting every 10 feet? Cuz I think <laughs> that would be a great comedy. It, it wouldn't it wouldn't be bad. It wouldn't be bad. Yeah, and like get so, like a um, bunch of different French directors to like you know uh, direct uh, each you know ten minutes like a you know like Perry Jetem like Perry I spit on you. <laughs> <laughs> Does Perry just do people spit. know what dip is? Is there dip in Europe? Do do people know what dip is. is outside of the southeast? One United of the dips States? is mm. called Copenhagen, isn't it? Okay, yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm assuming sorry. that comes from. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I know, think chewing, we're, we're chewing th- tobacco for those who may not know. Oh, yeah. By the, uh, it's not chewing tobacco. It's not. It's, dip is not. You don't chew dip. dip. You just put it between your gum and your um, and your oh whatever your lip. And oh, you just hold it right. there, and it like it did dissolves into that juice that they spit into cups and yeah. <laughs> so we are, we are three South Louisiana boss who um. Who definitely grew up around this, but mm. none of us have probably ever purchased this, so we, we don't nope. know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, oh, it says it's illegal to import or sell smokeless tobacco in the EU except for Swedish snus, hmm. which is allowed to be sold in Sweden, hmm. which is a common form of tobacco in Sweden and Canada. Oh, no, it, I'm sorry. It's not common in Canada. It makes it difficult to... You can't get it in Canada. So... Is that the okay? Cool. So that's apparently the only kind of smokeless tobacco that they have. It's illegal over there. Apparently, wow. man, which is pretty crazy. I mean, it does you know dissolve people's teeth people... and like put holes oh, in, their, the in their lips it's and the stuff. The absolute it's worst. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, but how do the Europeans even play baseball? <laughs> I mean, do, 
I don't know. <laughs> it's so true, though. It's just that mm. it's a very like uh, baseball centric uh, type of drug or whatever you'd call it. Right. Um, moving on. Not mm. to get bogged down in this trailer. Moving on to the, uh, I just want to talk about the Protege, which is a trailer I would not have even looked twice at. I didn't even watch it the first time <laughs> I saw the little uh, thing for it, but then I saw that it was directed by Martin Campbell, mm. who did um, the uh, Golden Eye. He did Casino Golden Royale. Eye. Sure, sure. The else, but the one that the, the one that I'm into <laughs> that he did more than anything is the Mel Gibson movie, which oh, I can't fucking no. think of the name of now. What's it called? <laughs> No, not Payback. Edge of Darkness. Oh, okay. He did Edge of Darkness. Oh, and he did Mask of Zorro also. Oh, He's right. just a good, like, uh, he's just like your typical Hollywood, you know, hired gun director. But he does good action. He directs action mm. very well. And uh, I am in the protege as an action movie. So, and it's, mm. I mean, it's starring Maggie Q, who's an action star. And uh, Michael Keaton's in it. So, yeah. Or Ma- Maggie Q has been in action movies, Jr. Okay, relax. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it just Star was such a strong. Uh, she was in Rush Hour too. All right, all right. No, I mean Maggie Q is like uh, I don't know. I, it's almost she, like she should have been a bigger deal. Yeah, she should have been a bigger deal. Mm. She's kind of old, eh? I didn't realize how old she was. Probably, yeah. She I, was on she's that 40, uh, forty-two. She was on that CW Nikita show for a while and mm. yeah she's she's been around i, I think, have seen three of her movies so mm. yeah that's probably what happened like she probably got lost in tv land and you know could have been a bigger deal but you know got lost in that mire of maybe TV the acting. protege will maybe the protege will drag her out of it because mm. i think it looks like a lot of fun to be honest Cool. I think it's uh, Sam Jackson's in it and uh, Michael Keaton mm. doing some action work. Robert Patrick, for some reason, is in this. <laughs> so, you know, I'm in. I mean, yeah, it looks like it looks like the kind of action nonsense that I'll probably just see at some yeah. point. Mm. Probably won't to. go to the theater. Yeah. And for my for my purposes, the only other trailer I'm interested in is uh, the killing of two lovers, which sort of came out of nowhere, and is a little independent film um, that was on uh, the Apple trailer website. And at first, when I watched the trailer, I got through about twenty seconds of it. I almost turned it off. I was like, "This is brutal." <laughs> But then it becomes like this really sort of dark, uh, I mean, I hate to use, I, I feel like I've said the word thriller 15 times in this episode already, but it's like a dark thriller, like a uh, marriage dissolving and then murder and stuff like that. And it just seems very real and very gritty and down to earth. So I'm interested in it. And it's actually already on um, iTunes to rent mm. for $6. So I might check it out at some point. Nice. Did you guys watch this trailer? I did. Yeah, right before I hopped on the call. Yeah, I I was intrigued. And, you know, it's it's that kind of like a low-budget DV that still looks pretty and is filming around mountains. So, right. you know, it, it, it looks like it will look good. Mm. And, yeah, uh, it's definitely letting the scenery do a lot of the cinematography work for it. <laughs> no, the... Uh, yeah, it... I was in, I was intrigued by this trailer for sure. 
it's only 84 minutes also, so you gotta love that. Mm. You know, it's definitely a sell. Um, Filmed in Utah. Mm. It's, uh, one of the reviews says possibly the Casey Affleckiest movie that Casey <laughs> Affleck never made. Wow. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You could see him in the lead in this. I definitely. Mm. Anyway, have you, um, let me ask you this, JR, before we get started with what we watched. I noticed that on the uh, Letterbox Roulette list crossing canons that you've created, did you add badmovie.org's best B movies recently, or was that on their last episode? That was on their last episode. Okay. I didn't notice it. And then I went to it, and I went to the last 200 or so films which comprise that list, and some of them are very bad <laughs> and i am not excited about them I, being on this <laughs> so i I, th- I guess i thought i told you this the the last 200 films there are like uh they're a little bit of flavor right so yeah, yeah. after you know it's like did i like my night at mods yeah i'm glad i watched that again and uh but I could see if we did like five or six episodes in a row where we've got like a two-hour French New Wave film, uh, we're mm. gonna get sick of this too. So let's sure. get some uh, let's get some seventy-five-minute B movies in there every once in a while. Mm. Sure, and there's things like Thriller, they call her One Eye, and uh, you know Toxic Avenger and Tromeo and Juliet, these trauma films, things like this that I'd be very excited to watch actually. But then there's others like Zardoz is on here, which is great. I would watch Zardoz in a heartbeat. But then there's mm. things like Space Mutiny. Space Mutiny is a movie that is like one of the classic um, Mystery Science Theater episodes. And I've watched oh. the Mystery Science Theater episode, and it's going to be brutal to watch this movie in reality <laughs> if it gets picked. I but, wonder you know, if I'll we could... So for like that situation, I feel like that honestly ends up on a list because of its Mystery Science Theater episode. Sure. Like, like same with like Manos, Manos, the hands of fate. Mm. Absolutely. So like, that's, it's almost like if we get that movie, probably should, should just watch the mystery science theater episode. Oh, I'd be into that. Is that Mm -hmm. an option? We can say that if we get a, if we get one that has a mystery science theater episode, we can watch that instead. Yeah. Cause they were purposely pulling movies that had no value whatsoever at, at, you know, back in the day to be, to be fair. The Space Mutiny episode of Mystery Science Theater is a is a classic, and it's a very popular episode. I didn't think it was very funny at all, but <laughs> but uh, my you know my buddy Rustin made me watch, it and he thinks it's hysterical. So mm. I could always watch it again with him. He'll be into watching it. And there's other. I mean, I have to say that there's not you know there's that's only, there's only like three or four movies on here that I saw that I was like, oh my god, I can't watch this. Like so a lot of these are things that I'd be interested to see. As far as a bad, like a, a list of, of bad movies or B movies, I thought this had way more movies I'd be interested in seeing than uh, yeah. than some others. But I, yeah, I agree that there are definitely some clunkers. But you know, and there are going to be some there are going to be some clunkers from like the the acclaimed list as well. Mm. That will, oh sure, oh, absolutely, sure. absolutely. I mean, like Crawl is on this. I'd I'd watch Crawl again. Mm. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Let's uh, let's get into what we watched. Without further ado, uh, what did you guys watch? Who wants to start? I do. I want to start. I want. I want to go. Okay. Just do it. <laughs> Sorry. Lay it on us. I watched. Uh, 
I watched the Jackass movie for the first time. Jackass the that, yeah. the movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in preparation was, for four, I will say yes, even though I didn't <laughs> know that I had that there was going to be a fourth, and until I yeah, was watching this movie. Yeah, it's coming out this year. Mm. It's coming out this summer, I think. I've had uh, I've had all the Jackass movies on my like Netflix DVD queue forever, and I've never seen any of them. Um, so I just bumped the rest of them up to the list. So I'll watch two soon and then 2.5. Cause I'm sure that's worth it. Um, mm. <laughs> then I'll get to bad grandpa. Um, Oof. there was just, uh, you know, I, I was just like, I, I remember loving Jackass the show when, and I guess that was on when I was like 12 or 13 on MTV. And, uh, you know, there's just something so like pure, <laughs> about jackass and it's just it is nothing but these like seven idiots being idiots and and that's it and it doesn't overstay its welcome and there are like some of the like pranks skits things they do are stupid and not very funny but then like the next thing they do is is great i yeah i don't it made me laugh a lot yeah and uh and i love that mtv gave them a movie budget they clearly did not use it until the post credit sequence where like they're they're all in like in the old age makeup and then they just all get like CGI blown up and die. Uh, and I was like, way to go guys. Way to spend five million dollars on thirty seconds after the credits. <laughs> yeah, I mean I think uh I think the Jackass movies are Jackass in general is just brilliantly simple it's so it's such a dumb idea that just works so well and it only works that well because you've got so many like-minded people who are willing to put their bodies in harm's way for comedy Mm. you know and if you didn't have that it would not work at all but uh and that's why the fourth one is so strange to me because they're all approaching 50 now (laughs) And I mean, it's just insane to me that they're going to do any kind of physical stunts yeah. like they do in the first, especially in the first two movies. The first two movies are full of just insane shit. So they, I mean, they hurt themselves and it's, it's, it's funny. Like when you see someone fall and you're like, Oh, that hurt. And then like in two like scenes later, you'll see that guy in a cast, like his arm in a cast. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it did hurt. That really mm-hmm. fucking hurt. And there's, you know, some of the, I'm not as interested in like the poop stuff that they do. <laughs> that's, that's not as entertaining to me. Um, it's it's like it's it's funny when that guy like goes to the bathroom in like a plumbing store, like just sits on a toilet. <laughs> that's the class, um, Dave England. <laughs> yeah, but like before he does that, he like poops his pants in a van full of people. And I was just like, this is <laughs> couldn't couldn't hold I don't it. Know why. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, anywho, uh, Jackass is is great, and it's it's just the dumbest thing in the world, and and the world is better for it. <laughs> well said, mm. Kevin. Uh, so <laughs> so since they're now on Disney Plus, I decided to rewatch the Ewok movies that I'd seen as a kid, and they're terrible. Yeah. As 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 you would as you would think, you know, you know, like this isn't some revelation here, but like, you know, I I didn't think they would be you know great, but I didn't expect them to be like this bad. 
Although I gotta say, like some of the some of the the shots look pretty great. Like they actually they actually did a pretty good job, you know, restoring these and making them look way better than the um, VHSs that I remembered from when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, they're 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 terrible. And uh, the second one has Paul Gleason for like all of five minutes. So I guess he was like taking a break, you know, between uh, I don't know, maybe trading places and uh, Breakfast Club to be in a, be in a Star Wars movie. But uh, yeah, I mean, it you know, if you want to have like uh, like a mystery science theater kind of deal watching these movies, you know, absolutely, there's a lot of comedy to be had from them. But if you're gonna watch them thinking. Like, oh, I'm going to relive something from my childhood. Uh, you're probably in for a disappointment. Which, what's the name of the one that used to be on TV all the time? Well, uh, let's see. There's, I feel like the, there's one, one of these is way more famous than the others. Maybe. There's, uh, the first one is uh, Caravan of Courage, and the second one is uh, Battle for Indoor. Uh, that sounds... Yeah, that sounds like the one I've, I feel like that used to be on. Maybe not the Disney. It was on something like all the time when I was eight. Yeah, it might have been like I don't know ABC or something. Yeah, and maybe maybe I was just asking my parents to get it for me from Blockbuster over and over again. I don't, but right. I definitely watched that a lot. Yeah, and so uh, that one that one's not good. Yeah, I mean both both of these got one star because <laughs> you know like. Just bad acting and, you know, just, uh, just dumb for, you know, no reason. <laughs> you know, it's I like, just, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know how we could have seen this coming. Yeah, me neither. I, I was shocked. Shocked. <laughs> <laughs> they're sort of, I mean, they're like notorious for being bad, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, you know. Sorry, I have but a yeah. precarious mic set up today. That's okay. Mm. Um, all right, so uh, I watched Cop for the first time, which is a movie I'd been wanting to see since I was a teenager, starring James Woods, directed by James Harris. And uh, it's about a an obsessive, insubordinate homicide cop who is convinced that a serial killer is loose in Hollywood and disobeys direct orders in order to catch him. And it's uh, pretty bad, <laughs> unfortunately. I thought it was going to be really, like, a hidden gem, really good. I watched it on Prime, which should have been, <clears throat> like, a red alert, because Prime has a lot of really awful trash from, you know, from the 80s and 90s, and it's just there, and you think it's going to be good because it has James Woods in it, and then you watch it and you realize James Woods isn't a good actor. You thought he was, but he's not. Oh. He's awful. <laughs> the guy can't act. And then you remember he was in Casino, and he's got great scenes in Casino, but then you think, that's got to be Scorsese giving him that, right? I mean, he's <laughs> he's not a good Wait. actor. Like, he's <laughs> awful in this movie. I don't know. He's terrible in this movie. Is he not good in Salvador? I thought he was... I, I remember liking him in Salvador. I liked him in The Virgin Suicides. Uh, mm. I love him in The Visitors. And I'm just scared to rewatch any of those now because 
I see him in something like this, and he's just so goofy and retarded. It's just, it's brutal, man. His performance is so bad. And, I mean, it's not, I guess, you know, honestly, you could, like, look the other way on some of it because the script is so goofy and terrible and cheesy and very cliched. Like, there's literally a scene, okay, so there's this scene early in the film, Charles Durning is in this movie, and he's his partner, which already is, like, you know, ridiculous, because Charles Durning is, like, 70. <laughs> right. Even, was... even, even in 1988, you know? Mm. And, um, he, but he's his partner, okay, and, uh, James Woods, like, calls him up, and he's like, hey, I gotta go do a stakeout on this guy, I need to arrest him, because he's, you know, selling pot or whatever i don't know what he was doing <laughs> selling crack or whatever some black guy and they do the stake out there sitting in the car waiting for this guy this guy comes out guy's got a woman on his arm james woods walks up he says hey lapd you're under arrest the guy pulls a gun james woods shoots this man to death like four shots in the chest just pow, 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 kills him cool, 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 pretty cool. good blood squib okay he falls down he immediately walks over to the female and is like, look, I'm sorry you had to see that. You know, this is uh, what we do. We're LAPD. And he's like, let me give you a ride home. And then he takes her and puts her in the car and they go, fuck. And he tells Charles Durning, you take care of the paperwork. Wow. Just shot a man. You take care Sounds- of the paperwork? This is normal, yeah. This is some straight yeah. up to live and die in LA bullshit. Yeah, it's out of control. It just does not read real in any reality that you've mm. ever experienced. And uh that's not the most extreme thing that happens in it. So I mean, oh, no. it's I mean, a cop, cop shot a guy over excessive force. That sounds normal mm. and real. Yeah, but they have to do paperwork <laughs> to cover that up after, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, it's just so silly. It's just I don't know. I couldn't I could not deal with it. And uh Raymond Barry is in it, who I love. He was in, he was the uh, police captain in Falling Down, the masterpiece mm. Falling Down, and uh, he's also the police captain here, and he's really good. And Charles Durning is fun, if not great. Leslie Ann Warren is in this, and I don't think she's a very strong actor either. But uh, nobody comes close to being as bad as James Woods is in this movie. Mm. So I don't know. Just didn't didn't work. That's a shame. Like, yeah, I was pretty disappointed. Yeah, like I, I remember liking, like honestly, he was probably one of the best things about Virgin Suicides, and like, I thought, you know, he oh, Video Drum too. I forget he was in. Yeah, video yeah, drum. I love uh, Video Drum. I, I yeah, I, I think he's great in Video Drum, but like, but like when when it, when I got to Salvador though, I was like, okay, this is just James Woods, like, you know, being James Woods and. You know, like he actually says in the movie, like, like you know, I'm an asshole. That's that's just what I am. Um, he plays asshole. That's like his go-to thing. Yeah, is playing like he plays an asshole in Casino. He plays an asshole mm. in this movie. Right. He plays like a smarmy. Even in Videodrome, he plays like a smarmy asshole. Like that's his. Yeah, absolutely. and vampires too. He has that attitude. He's just like a dick. Yeah, but um, I don't like. I mean, the thing with Salvador too is like it's. Oliver Stone so there's you know like like I just got fed up immediately with the you know like oh I'm gonna slip acid into this reporter's drink but I'm also you know like reporting the truth that you know they don't want us to tell you about I was like spare me (laughs) you know like that that kind of stuff is just that's not what I'm into (laughs) 
But um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know where to stand on James Woods really. I don't know. I you know I mean looking at his at his body of work now, it seems like you know maybe a bit of a overstatement to say he's not a good actor, but it's just like I'm telling you, you watch Cop and it's shocking how bad his performance is. I don't know. I really the the visitors is his first one of his first films he was ever in. It's in the last Elia Kazan movie, mm. and I've been meaning to. Um, it's on my list of like things to uh, to you know watch for deep dives or whatever. Mm. And I just I don't know. I'm scared to watch it now. I'm scared he's not going to be good in it. I love this movie. I gave it a very high rating. Mm. Anyway, so that's cop. Mm. Jr. Yeah, I um watched a uh, 2021 release. I watched uh mm. yeah I watched Nobody. Oh yeah oh yeah. Mm. This movie, this movie was very sexy. No, it yeah. was not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just old people. Punch and, and killing each other. Uh, no, um, this was like the, you know, we'll call it like a, this is the way it's marketed, like a John Wick ripoff movie with uh, Bob Odekirk. And uh, I assumed it would be like, you know, uh, the same thing, revenge movie. They go after, someone goes after his family. So Bob Odekirk, retired something, goes after uh, the people that came after his family. That's not really what it is. Um, there are some elements of that. This is very John Wick inspired. Obviously, to say it is not would be ridiculous. And it's got that same sort of like um, uh, like industrial chic look. I don't know. Um, it, it's like it's like low lit, pretty, or trying to be pretty. Uh, actually, it's it's an aesthetic that I. It has to be like really good for it to work for me. And the look of this movie, I do not like it. But um, the Bob Odenkirk of it all, I did really enjoy. Um, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous to watch this like sixty-something-year-old man like kick people's asses. Um, but the way that they like build his character is really cool. Like this movie is. This movie it's it's a movie about addiction um he's, he's and, 58 by the way okay sorry <laughs> sorry bob sorry yeah this movie's about addiction and um like killing people beating people up like is something that bob odenkirk did in like, his previous life because he liked doing it and uh he like basically has the itch to keep doing it and so when something happens in his life and he, like, sees a path toward, like, being violent again. He, like, immediately takes it. And um, the movie reckons with that in some interesting ways. Uh, and then there are other things in the movie that make me think that, oh, like, everything good that the movie was doing was totally on accident. Because some stuff is, like, so dumb. Uh, and this is directed by the person who did like, Hardcore Henry, which I never saw mm. and will never see. But that looked, like, just dumb as shit. But, uh <laughs> Oh, I honestly recommend Nobody, and I I recommend you guys watch Nobody so I can know that like whether or not I'm a psycho for enjoying it as much as I did because mm. yeah, I really you, enjoyed you, it. 
Yeah, but you like the John Wick films. Yeah. So, and I don't. So my no. my opinion should mean nothing to you mm. because this is not my kind of thing. Right, but it again, this is this is different than than John Wick. Mm. You know, same same but is different. It? Same same but different. <laughs> the ultimate goal is the same, I feel like, you know. The ultimate goal of the film is to entertain through tactical uh martial arts and gunplay and gun kata. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll watch Equilibrium, thank you. Mm. I'm just Why? kidding. I'm just kidding. Jesus. I won't I won't watch that. I'm just kidding. I saw it once. That was yeah. enough. God, that movie is bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kevin. Uh let's see. So I'll go through uh my uh criterions for this go around. Uh started with the freshman, the Harold Lloyd film, which was pretty entertaining. Mm. Then moved on to uh, Vampire, my first dryer film. Um, I loved the shadow effects in this movie. I thought they were fantastic. Um, this movie would probably definitely go up on a rewatch. Um, like the the day that I watched it, I was just kind of out of it, so I wasn't paying as good attention as I could have if I was feeling better. But um, but it was still really good. And then uh, the Naked City. Now, watching the Naked City, I was reminded of the fact that like I've gotten to a point where I think like voiceover narration needs to be done extremely, extremely sparingly. And if it's gonna be done, it needs to be done by somebody who knows somebody who's I'm not going to say that Jules Dassin is not a good filmmaker because he is he's a great filmmaker but I, I, I guess it was like in this particular instance it's the it's the producer of the film doing the narration and it breaks the fourth wall and I just, it really, really detracted from the movie for me. Like, the movie without the narration probably would have been, like, four, four and a half, maybe. But right now, it's a, it's a right at a three because, because of the narration. Like, like, if, you know, like, you take, like, say, like, the narration in, like, uh, Double Indemnity, where you've got, like, Billy Wilder and uh, Dashiell Hammett doing a Raymond Chandler story like that's that you know that's an example of really good voiceover narration that noir thing but this this stuff was just it just rubbed me in all the wrong ways it was really really distracting and like this could have been like a really great film noir crime movie without it I was going to say it sounds like a um like the killing situation mm. similar to the killing Exactly, exactly. which is a great f- which would be a greater film if it didn't have mm. the narration in my opinion. Yeah, like I gave Killing a 4, but like it probably honestly it probably would have been a 5 if it hadn't been for the narration. You know, cuz cuz the narration that in that one is it. just so like, you know, 7:20 p.m. May 18th, Ugh. Tuesday. 
and that's it. It's brutal. Like, yeah, and then you know, no good. yeah, no good. Yeah. So you must you well, we'll get to it, but you must love Appaloosa then, because the <laughs> uh, the narration in there just like couple of seconds at the beginning, couple of seconds at the end. I was uh, thinking the same thing when I first met Virgil <laughs> Cole. I was in. Whatever, Utah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Traveling we'll with get my to white anyway. gauge. <laughs> yeah. uh, Still got all right. that eight gauge. <laughs> that was more like a forest. Yeah. That was not a good accent. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, I um, my my students are gone because I teach seniors, so they've been gone for about two weeks in the last God, you week. Suck. You <laughs> yeah. suck. It's amazing. Uh, I have the last hour off, and I don't teach kids. <laughs> I teach adults. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I actually don't teach anyone right now. Mm. It's beautiful. But um, I have been having to administer a few AP tests here and there, JR, so if that makes oh. you feel any oh, better. Oh, no. You have to <laughs> sit there. I know. I've been getting a lot of reading. I read uh, Sam Shepard's Pulitzer Prize winning play Buried Child in one sitting the other day. Mm. So it was wonderful. Um, anyway, I uh, <laughs> the last week my kids were in class, we had nothing to do. So we just watched Ready Player One the entire time. And uh, because it was the only film I could find a streaming that had some kind of connection to dystopia the idea of a dystopia mm. and uh otherwise i would have had to like buy divergent or hunger games or something like this i didn't want to spend any money so we just watched ready player one it was on hbo max and i've never uh, seen it before animal city movie that's stupid animal this, city. the disney one you know with uh the fox and the bunny rabbit um <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm lost never mind i don't i don't Oh, I'm gonna look this up and shout Animal it out. Animal Farm, and... the Orwell film, the Orwell book. <laughs> no. They made a film out of that, right? Mm. I think. No. Anyway, I. Uh, no, it's all good. I watched. So I watched Ready Player One. Essentially, I actually watched it probably seven times conservatively. And the first time I Zootopia. watched it, I'll be. Oh, Zootopia. Is that a dis? What? Is that a dis? I guess that is sort of a dystopian narrative if you look at it a certain way. I don't know. Yeah. I've never seen it. I've never. But uh. But I guess you could look at it that way. It's more of like an al- analogous to humanity, right? Isn't it more of a like there are cops and mm. they're trying to take down the minorities or something? Like it's that. a it's a really muddled uh, kind of deal there, but uh, yeah, like a metaphor for the problems in our own society mm. that that doesn't hold together at all. But yeah, well, there are dystopian elements. I, Sure. Never <laughs> yeah. seen it. I actually did watch the first half hour of that when I was teaching middle school. And I remember thinking, because uh, we watched the first half hour of that, and then we watched the movie Sing, mm. which is by Illumina- Illumination Studios. And it was inc- I remember thinking how incredible it was, how much better looking Zootopia looked. Like it was like it was amazing looking compared to Sing, which looked like a cartoon made you know ten years ago, which it, I mean it has been now. But anyways, <laughs> I watched Ready Player One, and the first time I watched it, I was sort of surprised at all the hate i was uh i was into it i was like this is very entertaining especially that first maybe 20 minutes with the first race and all that stuff i found it very you know just incredibly you know what spielberg does best just creating very entertaining action sequences set pieces 
and uh, the all the sort of uh, pop culture references didn't really bother me the first time, uh, <laughs> and then I after watching it, you know, five or six more times in pieces. <laughs> Uh, I could say that the three that I gave it would probably be more like a one now because there's just so much wrong with it from a logistic standpoint. Now, I don't think that it's the movie's fault exactly. I'm pretty sure it's the book's fault. Have Have you guys read this book? No. JR, you must have read this book. I, no, because I don't... No? No. I don't have time for this kind of like nostalgia bait. Okay, good. Well, I assume that. Uh, well, anyways, I assume that in the book, um, the like the problem that I have with the story is that what these people, these characters, are doing—they're living their lives in Second Life, essentially. You know, they're living their lives in the virtual reality world, and it's treated as a good thing, a positive thing. And there's never any sort of criticism of it, like except for there's a throwaway line in the last minute and a half of the movie where they say we sh- we, we 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 shut down the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays because real life is sometimes really the best way to live your life or whatever you know, <laughs> and it's just kind of like a cheap cheap way to get around the idea that you're not criticizing at all this idea that you know nostalgia is is when it's when it's commodified and uh, made into pornography essentially it's it's a bad thing you know it's not good to throw your entire life into the fantasy world it's not good to you know be obsessed with these things necessarily to the point where you you know you live in a in the stacks you live in motorhomes that are piled on top of each other in columbus ohio because you care this much about living in your fantasy world but they don't have any kind of interest in in uh, you know, studying that or looking at that or saying anything about that. It's just all like, well, this is great. The Oasis is great. It's nothing but positive and they want to shut it down. So we got to fight them. And I, yeah, I don't know. It just really, that bothers me tremendously mm. watching, uh, having watched the movie so many times now. And I, it wasn't something that I thought about the first time. I was just enjoying the fun of it. But uh, but yeah, watching it all these other times, and then the, there's this really stupid like logistics stuff that makes no sense to me. Like, there was a final battle on uh, in this ice plane. I don't even know what it is. Like this field of ice, and they're fighting on it. I don't know if you guys remember this. And um, what's his face? The main character has has a. Of course, he has the DeLorean from. Uh, Back to the Future, because the author of the book drives the DeLorean from Back to the Future in real life. So I'm assuming it's some kind of nod to that, or maybe it's in the book, I don't know. And he's driving over the ice. He's the only person in a vehicle. All the gunters are there, the people who hunt the eggs. Why don't any of them have vehicles? In fact, I'll go a step further. How How come half of them don't have that exact same car? Do you know what I mean? Like, why, in this world, what kind of video game is this where everybody has unique items? Nobody has the same thing. Mm. Wouldn't every, like, there'd be 30,000 guys dressed up like Darth Vader running around. (laughs) I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, and you'll notice how it's a Warner Brothers movie, so they don't have access to Marvel characters. They don't have access to any of the, uh, like, Star Wars. They don't, you know what I mean? They can't, they can't reference anything that's in geekdom, hardly at all, (laughs) except for Warner Brothers movies like Back to the Future. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It it makes no sense. (laughs) I mean, they make do with 
the Warner Brothers like catalog there. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't watch that movie they thinking, do. yeah, this isn't geeky enough. But no, it's not geeky enough. But I'm, I'm I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it just it strikes me as like it completely takes me out of the reality of this world where we're obsessed with everything that. Uh, the maker of this game did, which also is just com- a complete stretch, right? That these seventeen-year-olds are going to be obsessing about uh, Buckaroo Banzai because <laughs> the creator of their favorite video game liked it. Mm. It makes no like. So you're not allowed to not like things that this guy liked, right? You have to like Buckaroo Banzai now, and of course they both do. Everybody loves Buckaroo Banzai, even though it's like notoriously a bad film. Nobody likes Buckaroo Banzai, but because this nerd bad. liked it, everyone likes everyone likes this movie. Everyone that has seen this movie uh, likes what? this movie, but continue. Buckaroo Banzai? Yeah. People do not like Buckaroo Banzai. People, you are wrong. People do like this movie. Mm. It, no well, one has I'll seen this movie. I'll look it up on Rotten Tomatoes right now. I'm derailing I'll this. look it up on... <laughs> I'm going to look it up on, on all kinds of different things and prove to you that nobody likes this movie. See, and that's why I think this movie is more of a utopia, because... Mm-hmm. At some point, American society and geekdom did get rid of Star Wars. And thank God for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't disagree that it's like, uh, I mean, the dystopia thing is very loose. I only, you know, like I said, I had to choose something that was sort of related well, yeah, to what and, we were studying. But I, I know. And, and, I mean, that's part of the, like, if they if they were exploring the issue with, like, the video games spending all the time there, they'd also sort of be exploring part of the dystopian element there that they're ignoring absolutely now i will say that uh the villain who's played by um the australian fellow what's his name fuck i never can't remember his name is it mendelson he's in my favorite mendelson ben mendelson mm. yeah he was good in it but he wears false teeth I forgot he wears false fronts on his top teeth and they're so big and clumsy that he lisps through the entire film. And there are scenes where it's really obvious and like comical. And there's a scene where he's talking, he's like he's like leaning forward talking into a monitor, talking to one of his henchmen, and the camera's panning around the side of him, okay? And he says, "They're still on the board." And he says it with this huge lisp that's so bad that even the actor knew, okay, I just fucked up that line. And you can see his <laughs> eyes. He looks all the way over to the camera like this. And then he looks back. He's waiting for Spielberg to say, cut, we do it again. But he left it in. Wow. It is amazing. I, I, I watched that. I remember every time that scene came up when I was in class. Like, I was in class. I wasn't even paying attention because I'd seen it 15 times, you know. And I was, like, doing other stuff. And then that scene would come up and I would stop and just watch that scene because it's... <laughs> It is great. So the uh, highest, the 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 most common rating, star rating for Buckaroo Banzai on Letterboxd is three stars. <laughs> All right. Well, this is crazy. <laughs> no one knows what they're talking about. What's my star? Oh, you rating love for this Buckaroo movie. Banzai. That's why. I, I see. I didn't realize you gave it. You gave it a four. So you love it. I <laughs> it's ama- It's amazing. I've I've never seen it to be. I mean, fair. No, I mean, I don't it's know. not amazing. It's not amazing. It's I really just, fun, and it's not. Yeah. I. And it's not like a low quality piece of shit. Uh, sure, but what we we can litigate this another time. <laughs> well, you should put it on your uh, on your list for a deep dive. Is it on your list? No, I oh, can't well, believe hey. you guys haven't seen it. I haven't. <laughs> Neither no. has uh, Kevin. Apparently, well, he hasn't logged it. I don't know. No, I haven't seen it. Rustin gave it one star. Whoa, okay. well, Rustin doesn't know jack shit. <laughs> <laughs> 
How many stars did he give the new Mortal Kombat movie? All of them? Oh, like three and a half or something. Yeah, yeah. three and a half because he was embarrassed to give it a five because he loved it that much. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry, Rustin. I, I make I made that up. No, no, no. I don't disagree with you on that. I, I feel like uh, I've felt in the past that we go see things together sometimes or we'll see a movie together and he waits until I've rated it so he knows if it's okay <laughs> to rate it higher or not. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Who knows if that's true or not. I might be picking that up. But Well, you know, since Anyways, we, we yell at our friends for their star rating, so of, it of makes course. sense. Uh, Ready Player One, kind of fun the first time. It has no replay value. No, uh, like, a, like a bad video game, no replay value. Mm. And... Um, there's lots of logistic stuff I could go into. I mean, you can nitpick this thing to death, and it's not... It's just brutal. But, uh, yeah. So, I gave it three. Like I said, it would probably be a one now. But... Couldn't... Anyway. Why don't you just re-log it with a one? Because I... Cause I Okay, the first time I logged it, I watched the first 40 minutes in class, and then I came home and watched it. Like, the rest of it. Mm, yeah. And the rest of it that I watched in class over and over again was, like, in pieces. So I don't think it's fair, necessarily, to give it a rate, like, another star rating without rewatching it properly from beginning to end. In a, like, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah, sure. Even though, I mean, but, you know, and I just don't, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to rewatch. I, I would, I, I will not rewatch this movie unless maybe 10 years from now or something, you know, when I've forgotten mm. it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I see the, uh, I mean, there's a lot of hate for it on Letterboxd in particular. Yeah. People do not like this movie. Yeah, I know Jonathan was, like, not having it, so. Yeah. His famous review, why are you like this, Stephen? <laughs> just these random things that Jonathan anyway. said once that I, for some reason, remember, and I'm like, you know, you know classic Jonathan. <laughs> He's, you know, I wish he was still logging. He's essentially given up on logging mm. things. It's brutal. I wish he would still right. log. Last thing he logged was Judas and the Black Messiah, which was mm. months ago. But uh, anyway, that's uh, that's Ready Player One. Jr. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched The Empty Man, which I feel like has recently made like the rounds of all the various. Uh, movie podcasts I listened to and just saw like a bunch of stuff about it in the past like two months when it you know apparently it came out in October and no one gave a shit about it no one saw it or it was dumped in October by um, whatever subsidiary area of Disney has it but um, this was yeah uh, this is a horror movie about uh, a guy James Bajdale investigating the disappearance of his neighbor's daughter so he's like a, he's like a retired cop uh retired detective and uh it involves like this like horror lore of um like blowing into a bottle and like saying the empty man's name three times and then like some you know horror sequence happens to you over the next three days and it's like it's hokey as hell and uh it's really silly but the just like the vibe that uh this director David Pryor creates is uh is just it's wild um it is the most i have ever felt like uh like j horror vibes like good j horror vibes like uh like pulse 
one of my favorite horror movies. Like I felt similarly watching this as I felt when watching Pulse for the first time, uh, because there is just some really creepy ass imagery. Um, and you know, like you can, you can probably look up what happens uh, or there's been a lot written about this movie. It's like, it's overlong. Um, the story devolves in a way that kind of makes no sense. And I agree with those things. It is very long. Uh, I like, if you ask me point blank, what happens at the end, I can't give you like a straight answer. I can just give you what I'm pretty sure is going on. But, um, I just think it all works. And there's, there is just individual scenes in here that are just so good. There's a great Stephen Root monologue. There's a great scene uh, in the dark at like a, an abandoned camp or what we thought was an abandoned camp that is both like, um, like that moment has like midsummer vibes uh, as well as some other, I feel like to, to say more about it, give it away, but, but it's, I don't know. It's it's such a it's such a cool movie, and I can't wait to watch it again. Um, and it's 140 minutes long, and no horror movie should ever be that long. But goddamn, I was so I was so in. Um, and it's like watch like do get it online and just watch the twenty the first 20 minutes, which is an extended prologue, and just see see where you're at with those first 20 minutes, and you'll you'll know if you should keep going or not. I've heard good thing. I mean, I, I mean, obviously, I, I listened to the Film Junk review, and and I and uh, Jay talked about it a few episodes ago on Film Junk, and I, the prologue seems interesting, like that. What they describe in that, like that, sounds like a, you know, that would definitely pull me into it. But I don't know. I'm I'll, I'll probably see it eventually when it's free to watch on Netflix, which is coming. You know. I well, it, it'll be Hulu since it's a Disney. Oh, will it? Oh, Fox. Yeah, this this is like a this was ready to be released in 2017 and kind of got caught up in in the the merger because Fox had it. Mm. So it should be on Hulu any minute. Ooh, nice. That'll be good. When it's on Hulu, I will definitely watch it. That'd be easy. Easy dozer. Kevin, uh, so I'll go through two um, two also creepy ones. Um, so I finally got around to rewatching Shadow of the Vampire. Um, yeah, and like I, I again, I realize I'm, I guess I'm in the minority here at Filmiac, but like I'm just not into John Malkovich. He's just. I don't know, like, he's, like, in this movie particularly, he starts out, you know, with, like, you know, a faint, you know, German-ish accent, but then when he gets animated, you can tell that he's obviously had quite a lot of elocution lessons, and he talks the same way in every movie that he is in, and... Yeah, I can't, I can't, can't deny yeah. that, yeah. Kevin. And also... Kevin. Yes. Kevin, wonderful impression Thank of Malkovich. You. <laughs> Sincerely, you you, you yeah. got the that like the way that you it didn't sound exactly like him, but like the way that that pacing of his words is absolutely Thank perfect. <laughs> and I will, I, I the the other thing like like I you know it's pretty good you know just as a movie, but like 
I feel like they did a, they kind of did a disservice to like so like uh, the character that Udo Kier plays, Albin Grau, the producer. Um, like I thought Udo Kier did a great job as as the producer of the movie, but apparently the real life Albin Grau was like a hermetic magician. Like, he was in the same lodge as Aleister Crowley. And so he was the one responsible for, like, bringing in all of this occult, um, you know, mysticism and things that, like, really, like, made the... Kind of made the movie what it is. Like, it's very little, from what I understand, like, very little to do with Murnau when you really get right down to it. So, like, I thought they, you know, like, that would have been a much more interesting story than this, you know like sort of real vampire that Murnau, you know, discovers and you know whatever. Um so yeah, I, I think that probably would have been a more interesting movie. I will say that the 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 conceit of Murnau not Murnau, um uh Whatever the fuck the guy's name, Defoe in the film. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, the actor, Max yeah, Shrek. Yeah, yeah. Max Shrek being a vampire. The idea of him being a vampire, it's a cool idea, mm. and I obviously it comes from like a lore that existed, like rumors and so forth. But I will say that, like when I was watching it, I remember thinking, like I don't know necessarily what 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 we're supposed to be getting out of it thematically like i don't know what that means mm, you know yeah. what i mean other than it just being like a genre experiment like a horror film you know like oh man he's a vampire that's scary and they kill him at the end and that's great like i don't understand like what him being a vampire has to do with anything like what is the story of the film exactly you right. know, it just feels like a plot device that's fun and cool and uh you know obviously the defoe has a lot of fun with the character and so mm. forth but like watching it, I'm just like it's it's a little thematically empty to me, but I like the film a lot. It's just it just doesn't mm. you know it's not like that's what holds it back for me from being like a like a great film is that right, it doesn't yeah. really have any kind of through line. I mean it's about you know there are themes coming from uh, from Murnau's part like his obsession and uh, for making like a perfectionist kind of thing and all that mm. kind of stuff, but. As far as him, the guy being a vampire, I don't know what that adds to his. Perf- I mean, except for the the fact that he's perfectionist and he so he wanted absolute authenticity, so he goes and finds a vampire. But yeah, it just feels like one of many things that are contributing to that theme, and it's not really. And it's like the main sort of through line of the movie. And mm. I don't know. I just don't know if it really makes that much sense. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And uh, let's. And I also rewatched the Ninth Gate. The Polanski Johnny Depp movie. Um, I have this on Blu-ray. I haven't watched it before, though. I've bought it a long time ago on Blu-ray. But you've seen it before, right? No, no? never oh, seen well. it. Mm-mm. I mean, I'd like to. I mean, I obviously Polanski is a genius, and uh, mm. I, I, I think it's during a period where Johnny Depp was doing good work. So yeah, like, I like I've, I've seen. I've seen the movie a lot, and this was the first time I had seen it, like, recently. So it had been, like, a long, long time since I had seen it. But watching it again, I don't know. Like, it's fairly interesting what's going on, but it's, like, I don't know. Like, the the atmosphere is definitely creepy because, you know, like, Johnny Depp's 
tracking down a book that's based on a book that was written by the devil and it's supposed to actually bring the devil, you know, make the devil appear. Um, and, you know, weird, weird, scary stuff ensues. But I don't know, like, one of the things that it made a little more sense to me when I was reading the synopsis for the book that it's based on. And apparently in the book, it's called uh, El Club Dumas, where, like, the main character, like, his main goal is to authenticate part of a uh, Three Musketeers. And the Nine Gates to the Kingdom of Shadows is kind of, you know, the B-plot. To it, In the main character's mind, it's the B-plot. Um, and, like... I was really more thinking about uh, the name of the rose, where like, like you know, a big part, you know, a big part of the book, the name of the rose is you know the murder mystery that's going on, but there's also the um, religious debate that is going on throughout the movie and the book, and yeah, it kind of takes a backseat to the murder mystery in the movie. But I don't think that takes away from the movie. So I think, I mean, you know, I, I can't necessarily say that if you had, if Jean-Jacques Hannault had gotten a hold of The Ninth Gate, it would have been a better movie. But like, and you know, it's it's not necessarily fair to compare these two, but it was just what I was thinking as I was reading about it. I mean... Ninth Gate is still good. Um, it's creepy when it needs to be. I just think um, parts of it do get like excessively goofy, in my opinion. But um, it's still worth watching. I gave it a three and a half. So, yeah, I definitely am gonna watch it at mm. some point. I don't. I, it's just one of those movies that I picked up at um, Fye for you know three dollars yeah. or whatever, and in a stack of movies, and I just never got around to watching. Right. It's a movie that came out, you know, when I was a I was a teenager and I was not allowed to watch things like that, mm, you know, yeah. satanic and so forth. But um fuck it, I'll watch anything now. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Uh Jer, you want to talk about without remorse? Oh, Jer's oh. Out there. <laughs> I'm just realizing Jer's oh, out yeah. there cuz he's got his kid. My bad. Let me mark that down. <laughs> JR, do you want to talk about without remorse? Do we have to? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> yeah. We we don't have to. Um No no, we you should know. we should. The world needs to so, know what this uh, movie is. Yeah, so Without Remorse is the uh new new movie based on Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. And it's written and directed by uh the the pair, the duo who did the Sicario sequel, which I am a big fan of. I know not everybody is, but I think it's great. And uh, Stefano Salima is the director, and um, Taylor Sheridan, obviously, the writer here. And it stars Michael B. Jordan as um, John Kelly, who is a very popular character in Tom Clancy books. And this is, of course, leading to the Rainbow Six film, which will no doubt come out on Amazon next year or the year after. And, uh, yeah, this movie is really bad. Uh, like, 
weirdly bad, I would say, shockingly so. Um, just kind of like poorly made, poorly acted. Uh, I think the script is very weak, which is a shocker because, you know, Taylor Sheridan is a very respected writer, and I think that he's written some great things like Sicario, Sicario 2, and uh, Wind River I thought was pretty good. I liked Hell or High Water was okay. I think he's a decent screenwriter. But I think that he's become <laughs> I think that he's become way too prolific for his own good. I think he's pumping him out at this point. And this does not feel like a Taylor Sheridan script at all. Like it Taylor Sheridan for me is somebody who really thrives in the minutiae and the um procedural elements of military or police work. And this movie does not play in a realistic world at all like it just feels very goofy and very action movie uh almost like a like an early 2000s action movie and it's it stopped me from watching the new Angelina Jolie movie that's on that's on HBO Max this, this weekend which is also written by Sheridan and I'm you know I'm I'm gun shy now cuz I mean not that it looks I don't think it looks very good to be honest but I would have watched it based on Sheridan alone prior to this film and uh, I think I might have to uh, <laughs> take a step back I don't know yeah it, I mean this this movie without remorse feels like it was almost like trying to be a throwback to a very specific kind of action movie but like it just can't get it's like tones right and like I mean that like with the with the dialogue and the things like these quips that these guys like say to each other but then also, like, Michael B. Jordan is just, like, unforgivably bad here. Um, his his delivery of every single line is just, like, like go, he's just, like, trying to, he's trying to be at 11 with every delivery. And it's, it's obnoxious. It makes everything feel insincere. It's just, it's bad. There And there are things that happen in the film, which, I mean, may or may not happen in the book. I don't know, like, what's to blame here, but... This this scene at the end where he drives off the bridge with the the guy in his car and they sink to the bottom of the river or whatever and he's just like sitting in the car with him. like I this kind of I mean what world is this happening in you know I was just I was looking forward to a real sort of grounded procedural you know it's like it's coming into Rainbow Six Rainbow Six is like the like epitome of realism in video games uh, at least early on you know i mean that's what it was all about it's like you could barely you could only take one hit if you got shot once you're dead because it was like you you know nobody's getting it's not like an action movie you don't get shot and then keep going and keep fighting so you just get shot and you die or you get shot and you fall down and you can't move or whatever so it's trying to be very realistic in that way and this movie is just i don't know it's like abandoning all that it's trying to be some kind of uh ridiculous thriller no, and, and they've, again they've, with the thriller <laughs> they've set this they've set this character up to be like uh like the gritty but still equally ridiculous and cia funded bond right like like this is he's gonna be like an action hero uh who is somehow a spy <laughs> um and that's you know and jamie bell's gonna be like his m which I was like that, that I don't know. Also that like the movie was trying so hard to set Jamie Bell up as like the bad guy that like <laughs> it becomes 
obvious like five minutes in like oh he's the guy i'm supposed to think is bad that's obviously not bad right it's like that simple completely yeah i mean it's he's a very obviously a red herring just because of how kind of unapologetically evil he appears at the beginning of the film yeah he's very callous you know and just like i don't i don't see any i don't see any russians here let's go you know it's like and you know like so michael b jordan's whole thing is like his pregnant wife is killed by the russians after their like their attack on some russian nationals and it's it's jamie bell who's like going over this file with uh uh, who's is, was it? Fucking Guy Pierce? Was it Guy Pierce? Yeah, Guy Pierce <laughs> okay. is the um, the I've senator. Been, or I've been watching Mayor of Easttown that has Guy Pierce, and I was like, mm, it can't be mm-hmm. Guy Pierce in both things. But it is okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. He's like he's going busy. over this file of what what happened, like what intelligence the CIA has on these attacks that included uh, Jordan's murdered wife, and he's just like, and we see no reason to <laughs> investigate this any further. Uh, this this matter is like considered even, and I was like, "Well, this is a joke, and probably not how investigations would work." But yeah, you're obviously so evil, you're not evil, right? It's uh, yeah, I think it just doesn't work on any level, and um, it was a real bummer for me because I was expecting this to be. I mean, honestly, I, I thought the trailer was very disappointing, and I was was not super excited but i was you know holding out hope that there would be something here and uh it's it's really a, just a complete sort of disaster well, couldn't this have been you know like what we want out of the protege even if maybe this could have been well no this is more real we wanted more realism i guess yeah and i honestly honestly martin campbell from what he's done in the past, I would expect his film to be grounded in more of a reality than this movie. I think that even something as goofy as like Casino Royale, it, whether it's honestly, maybe say it's grounded is wrong, but but it works better. The silliness of that movie works and you believe it. I don't believe the things. There's a scene in this movie where Michael B. Jordan is on that plane with his his female, the female who's in charge of his platoon or whatever. And he's treating her like he, she's his kid sister. He's throwing paper at her and stuff and, like, trying to get a rise out of her. I don't believe any of that scene. Like, I'm just like, where did this come from? All of a sudden, he's, like, this fun-loving, affable guy who just wants to talk and have a good time. And then she, out of nowhere, she goes, like, you're an asshole. And I remember thinking while I'm watching, I was like, why is he an asshole again? Like, what did he do to you? I don't, I, I'm, I'm lost as to who these characters are. And why they're acting this way. It makes none of it makes any sense to me. It just felt very like written and cliched and like this is the part of the movie where this scene is supposed to happen, so this is where it's gonna happen. And it just doesn't work at all. I hate I hate this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I couldn't Not, stand it. I think we both we gave it the same rating, I believe, and uh Yeah, you know one and a half. Hopefully, for our sake, uh hopefully this is near the bottom of our uh like worst of the year list. Or top of the worst yeah. of the year list. I, I hope I don't see any shit worse than this. I know I know I will. I agree. But. Yeah, complete agreement. And uh you know, it just uh it's a real it's a real bummer, but what are you gonna do? And I was gonna watch I was like looking for I was like, this movie's gonna be okay and then I'm gonna it's gonna make me watch Zero Zero Zero, which is Stefano Salima's television show on Amazon. 
but now I have no interest. <laughs> I mean, I, I've heard only great things about that, and I, I probably will never watch it, but I've heard it's awesome. I love the actors. I mean, Andrea Riseborough's in it, so she's very reliable. Um, and anyway. sorry, Taylor Sheridan, he he not only wrote Those Who Wish Me Dead, I think that's what it's mm. called, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Angelina Jolie movie. He also directed that. Sure. Did he? Uh, yeah. Are you sure? I, so I'm gonna pull it Are you looking at it right now? I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. <laughs> I think you might many, be wrong, guy. How many fights are we gonna get in today? Um, no, oh, he, he did direct. He, he did direct it. Fuck. I did so not this know. That. Is, well, I'll definitely. I will definitely watch it now because I liked Wind River. I haven't seen Wind River, mm. so maybe I'll watch that too. I got a question for you guys. Uh, is this move? Is this based on like an actual Tom Clancy book? Or is it one of the like millions upon millions of books that just have his name on them, but were written by other people? It's based on his first book. Okay, his very first novel. Okay, yeah. I mean, this, Which this is called, was like the, the introduction of the Rainbow Six group, right? I don't know if they. Intru- I don't know if he introduced Rainbow Six in this book. I. I, I mean, there's a book called Rainbow hmm. Six. But isn't that doesn't that, that involve the same character, or does it not? Yeah, it does. Yeah, at the end of the film, if you remember, he changes his name to John Clark. That's the character who's in the Rainbow Six books. So, like, he's the like if you play Rainbow, like I used to play Rainbow Six when I was a like an early teen on the PC back in like ninety seven, mm. ninety eight, <laughs> and uh, John Clark is like one of the guys you can play as on on that game. Mm. So it's a lot of fun. I used to love Rainbow Six. I was so into it. I was just wondering because, like, I know, like, um, like Tom Clancy, like, I like my grandfather used to read Tom Clancy. Like everything that Clancy put out, he he would read. But I don't know that, like, I mean, I haven't read any Tom Clancy, so I don't know if he's, you know, legit to, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I, my mom. I remember I asked my mom when I was a kid, I was like, do you, do you read Tom? Cause she used to read a lot. Like she would read all kinds of shit. And I was like, do you read Tom Clancy? And she was like, no, he's too technical. Like all of his writings really mm. technical jargon and stuff. Yeah. And I could see that being the case. And his books are very long from what I've yeah. seen. And I honestly, I was reading, I was reading about without remorse after the book. And, um, the book sounds very interesting to be honest. Like it's, it's, a it's, set during the time of Vietnam so like the 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 character in it is uh involved in Vietnam and I don't know just the story of it seems way more interesting and it's not it's not that his his wife and his pregnant wife doesn't get killed mm. in it uh it's a different it's a different sort of motivating force so I don't know it seemed like a really interesting book mm. actually but I don't know it's like a 27 hour wow. audiobook so I don't know. I don't know how, I'm int- how, how much I'm going to be interested in reading right. that, but or listening to it. But um, yeah, and like anyway. I know, like the other day I was in the stacks and I was like, I saw uh, those who wish me dead in the stacks, like in like in Columbus, Ohio. With, uh, no, in the I was Oasis? I was in the book st- I was in the book stacks <laughs> in the fiction section. Uh, oh, okay. And, yeah, yeah the and library. I, okay. Yeah, and I saw those who wish me dead, and I was like. Oh, that's that an- that's that action Angelina Jolie movie, and then I was like, oh, Michael Connelly, and that was that was another like who's Michael? He yeah. wrote it, and that's another like author who like I only see like older people checking out his stuff, so I you know 
I think you got. I think you got the uh, the author wrong there, Kev. Or John Con. It's Michael Corita. Hmm? That's Michael Cor Corita. Oh. Co- K-O-R-Y-T-A. Oh, okay. You might have just missed. Yeah, that. I mean, I don't know who he is. Yeah, but I mean, some guy. Yeah, so could be. I yeah, don't, I, don't I, I don't know. I don't know. I doubt the book is anything to write home. Yeah, about, like that. That's why I'm one. That's what I'm wondering about. Like if this like source material is just crap to begin with, and then like you know. Yeah, like I have a lot of respect for Taylor Sheridan's writing too, but you know, you you know, there's only so many ways you can polish a turd. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I used to have respect for his writing, and then I saw Without Remorse, mm. so I'm terrified. Well, he um, wasn't the only but, you know, writer I'll on that. Watch so. this at some point, right? Uh, uh, actually, he, he was I think not. that he might have been. No, uh, uh, there was a guy, Will Staples, as mm. well. So I'm not. Sh- I'm not sure, like who. Who rewrote whom? But goodness, yeah. Because as we know, nobody cares about the screenwriter of a film, except for film fans. So, <laughs> oh, there's there's actually, oh yeah, this is just Will Staples. Okay, mm. yeah, who knows? Will Will Staples it wrote uh, the the story for Call of Duty Modern Warfare Three, mm. so. He might be the problem. Mm. <laughs> yeah, like Sheridan might just have, you know, like they could have seen his script and been like, what the fuck is this? This is Amazon. Get this shit out of here. And then bringing this other guy this who's going to drive for us. He's going to write what we want to write, you know. And Taylor Sheridan was like, hey, all right, we'll give you the credit on the thing. Whatever. Go away. Here's your check. It does feel, you know, it's funny because. Without remorse, the dialogue especially does feel like stuff you would see in a Call of Duty game or, or a shooter. Of see, some it's sort. all starting to make sense now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. It really does. I, I was wrong to doubt Sheridan. I'm sure he's a genius. I, I, I should never have went down that road. Anyway, Kevin, what do you got? Uh, what do I got? Um, I watched uh, The Mitchells versus The Machines, a new uh, family movie on Netflix, and... I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well done. Um, it's made by the writer, like some of the writers from Gravity Falls and the uh, animation studio that did Into the Spider Verse. So it looks pretty good, and um, yeah, it's a solid, solid movie. Um, what else? I've yeah, heard good things um, about it. It's real good. And uh, let's see, I guess the last thing I'll talk about before uh, my night at Maud's, um been watching some more uh, Wong Kar Wai movies, started with the uh, Chung King Express, Woo! which is fucking great, and Fallen Angels, which is also really, really great, and I've got more, more of his movies lined up to watch. That I got from uh, the library, so be definitely checking out more Wong Kar Wai because the dude just makes fucking great movies. Like, yeah, yep. <laughs> Jr. My blueberry nice does not exist. Oh no, <laughs> that's how we keep that sentence true. Um, I can't. Is it July when they do their sale or June? July, the Criterion sale. Yeah, yeah, I'll July. I'll be all over uh buying that box set July first. <laughs> I I've decided I'm gonna get the Varda set in July for sure. I've been meaning I've almost got it <laughs> the last two crazy. sales. 
I'm just kidding. No way, Varda rules. She does. She way does better than Wong Kar Wai. Ah. Okay, well, that's insane. Uh, we can have both of them. Both, <laughs> yeah. are, both are great. I don't know. You haven't seen Shun King Express, okay. so... I've only seen one of his films, and I wasn't a big fan of it. So. Well, you know, it's it's okay to it's the first the first sorry, step sorry, is JR. admitting that's that you're wrong. So you know, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> he just he didn't he didn't want to like it. It was like that was like my first episode as a regular with with John was here, it? and he just he knew going in that it was my favorite movie. So it was just he was ready to tear it apart. Uh, John, you should definitely watch. Maybe you should maybe definitely watch Happy Together. I think you you might get a little more out of that because it's a little more visceral than uh, in the mood for love. So okay. I think you might appreciate it a little more. I have um, I have Chunking Express. I've had it downloaded since we oh, did yeah. that episode. <laughs> yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but I want to. I mean, yeah, I will yeah. eventually. I just haven't watched it. I I find when I download mm. things that are foreign and have subtitles, I have a hard time like sitting down at a computer to yeah. watch them, you know, because other movies that don't have subtitles, I'll put the file on a, like a jump drive and I can plug it right into my TV right. and watch it on my TV. Well, Chung King, you can just watch but on I Criterion. I can't do that with the subtitles. On the, on the channel. That's, yeah. that's true. See, I didn't really, I forget that. Well, when I downloaded uh, right. it, it wasn't on there because they weren't doing their box yeah. set. Well, yet, uh, the channel hadn't been out yet by that point. I don't think. No. Oh, I think it was uh, might have been filmstruck. Right, 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 right. Before it was Criterion, it was filmstruck, which I was also mm. subscribed to. I'm gonna find the. Uh, I have I have a membership card that they sent me. <laughs> Did they send you one of those, Jr.? I know. I, I don't think I was an early enough subscriber. Oh, you, had to, you like that? You you had to be like one of the first few thousand. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was uh, sent charter subscriber since April eighth, twenty nineteen. It's yeah. metal too, man. That's, I mean, I, uh, that's nice. legit. I was subscribed before it was functioning, but uh, you know, this you're, is you were I, probably in there six months before it actually went up. Well, I was I was in there because I was subscribed to Filmstruck. So my when they shut down Filmstruck. I'm pretty sure the membership just carried over whenever they started Criterion Channel. Because for the minute Filmstruck shut down, they sent out an email saying Criterion Channel's... Co- or I think it was maybe like a week or two later, they were like, we're making Criterion Channel, yeah. it's coming, and it's mm. going to be a thing. And, you know, so I was very excited. But, um, mm. anyway. Uh, okay, well, I watched some... I was way behind on my Criterion Challenge watches. So I beasted through The Ascent, which was very good... Um, watched the ballad of Gregorio Cortez. Thank you to JR for sending me that download of it, except that it was garbage. It was a garbage download. And I ended up just, I ended up just buying it on Amazon. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I appreciate it though. I really do. I'm sorry that you had went through the trouble, but, um, it was beautiful on Blu-ray and, uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought the filmmaking was really like above and beyond. I liked all the handheld stuff. And I think that, uh, What's his name? The guy who's the star of it, Edward James Olmos, is great in it. Even though he's sort of not the star of it, like he's sort of he's the titular character, but he's, it's not really mm. about him so much as it's about the posse that's hunting him. And uh, like he doesn't even speak English, like he's barely he really barely has any lines in the movie. But he's got some emotional stuff that he has to do later in the film, and it's really really very affecting, very good. And uh, 
I mean, I'll just say it, Jared, because you're afraid to, I'm sure. But the blood squibs in this. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> There's not enough of them, to be honest. Um, and I watched uh, Shortcuts for the first time, which is uh, Robert Altman's three-hour opus to L.A., I guess. I don't know what you'd call this. It's interconnected stories. It's the thing that influenced Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, I think, the most. I mean, you watch this... Uh, and if you're familiar with Magnolia at all, it's just like it, Anderson is lifting so much from shortcuts. It's ridiculous. And it doesn't drag Magnolia down for me. I love Magnolia, but um, because I think Magnolia does things that are unique also. But yeah, I really, really enjoyed shortcuts. I love the performances in it. Um, with the exception of maybe, I thought there was one kind of weak performance, which was Matthew Modine. He ha- he's married to Julianne Moore in the film, and Julianne Moore is quite good in this. And I feel like she's sort of outdoing him a little bit. And uh, I don't know. It's a few. There's a few scenes where he's just he seems a little out of his depth, in my opinion. But everybody else is fucking great. It made me really miss Chris Penn. I was like, I wish Chris mm. Penn was doing more, like was alive and doing things yeah. still, you know. And he's fucking great. Jack Lemmon's great, obviously, and. Tim Robbins is really funny in it. <laughs> Just such a douche, but really funny. I don't know. I really had a lot of fun watching it. I thought it was great. And uh, the three hours goes by in a flash. So I highly recommend it. Um, Tom mm. Waits is in this, Kevin. So you've nice. got to watch it. He's he's like one of the main storylines. Him and Lily mm. Tomlin. It's pretty good. He's good. Anyway, he's he's actually quite good in it too. Like I'm one of these people who I watch Tom Waits and, and stuff, and I'm like, I don't know if he's really that great of an actor. Feels very like hobby performances, you know? Like he doesn't he's he's not an actor, so he doesn't really care that much. But in this, he's really I don't know. He seems very committed. He's into it. He's playing the role very uh, very well. So yeah, shortcuts. It's great. Jr. Yeah, this will be my last one. I watched, uh, I watched the crazies, uh, George Romero's kind of grindhouse, um, plague horror film from, uh, 1973. I had never seen it before. I'd only seen the remake with Timothy Oliphant. Um, I saw that too. Ola fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, this is another one where I was, I was just pretty pretty in to the aesthetic. Uh, I was into what was going on. It has like a very sort of procedural nature. Once the um, the military shows up to this little town where you know the military has accidentally released a like a a pathogen, a, a bioweapon into uh, this town's water supply uh, that basically just makes people go like violent, like just uncontrollably violent uh, towards each other. And, uh, you know, it's all about, <laughs> like, how the military is, like, single-minded and, like, cannot, for the life of them, uh, like, control this town in a way that makes sense. They cannot get this under control because like, the, only, the only thing they know how to do is, like, round up people, arrest them, and not explain what's going on. And so, of course, all the people are, like, they're, like, mad. Mm. <laughs> Duh. Um, but, yeah, this is, it's, it's a, I don't know. 
I think it works, uh, even though, again, this is like very low budget Romero, uh, very like ketchup, blood, that kind of deal. Um, so, you know, your mileage may vary. Uh, but mostly wanted to bring this one up because while watching this, I was just kind of looking at the Romero films I had and had not seen yet. And I was very intrigued by his early 80s movie, Night Riders, which is about a Renaissance fair troupe where, like, the dudes in it all ride motorcycles and joust from their motorcycles. And uh, I was like, I gotta, I gotta fucking see this movie. It's two and a half hours long. That's right up my alley. Um, and, like, the first review of it is, like, that, like, from one of my friends is way more, like, dazed and confused than I would have thought possible. <laughs> Uh, and I watched the first hour last night and I'll, I'll finish it tonight, which is, you know, like if we record in two more weeks, it will be out of my head by then. Uh, I wanted to make this my deep dive, but it's, it's Ed Harris in the lead. And I, I just couldn't do that to us, uh, two recordings in a row. Ed Harris is the man. I'll watch anything, any day with Ed Harris. The first shot of Knight Riders is him sitting up very quickly in like a, a foresty glade. He's he's butt butt ass naked. He's got uh, this beautiful woman naked next to him, and he starts doing like yoga poses. And then he's like sharpening what looks like a medieval sword. And like we've got this just like beautiful image, like with this very nice music. Uh, and then you see him mount something, and they reveal it's a motorcycle. And, um, and this is this was a this was a great first little sequence. And Tom Savini uh, like. Ed Harris is the king of this Renaissance Fair troupe. Like he, he is the boss. He is considered the king. They live by like a code of honor. Uh, Tom Savini is like the greatest knight in the troupe, and he's trying to become king. And uh, the first like forty-five minutes is just like their first like, basically a day at the Renaissance Fair, and it's uh, it's it's great stuff. Everyone in it is great, uh, and the way that it is written is there's like very little exposition. You learn everything about this troop from, you know, little like side glances and uh, these just very natural interactions. And it was, it's, I've not seen all of Romero's movies, but it's like, where the hell did this come from? <laughs> this very like naturalistic, um, this feel with great performances. It is it's like, I, that is not something I ever would have associated with him. Um, but I don't know. I can't wait to finish it. I'll, uh, I guess I'll let you guys know if all of a sudden it turns into a piece of shit, but <laughs> right now, right now it's great. Mm. Um, you guys want to talk about my night at mods? Yeah. Punishment time. Uh, sure. I actually have, uh, two more oh, okay. movies to Go talk ahead. about, oh, but Christ. <laughs> you want me to just burn through those? I'll just burn through them. I don't have a lot to say about, um, I just I, I I I put a lot of time into one of them, and I don't want to not mention it. So I watched uh, the series from 2014 called The Chair. It was a stars reality show about uh, two directors who were given the opportunity to direct the same script, and then they were like the like whose script whose movie will be better kind of thing. And it was from uh, Chris Moore, who is one of the guys who does Project Greenlight. And it was when he left Project Greenlight and started doing this show, but the show didn't make it. It only lasted one season. 
And um, but it's actually a really good show. I bought it. It was only seven dollars on Amazon for the whole season, so I bought it and watched it. And uh, it's ten episodes long, and it's just real. It's very very involved in like the minutia of movie making, and like they go really in depth with it, and they spend a lot of time just showing these people struggling to get these these movies made these movies which are obviously not going to be seen by anyone and nobody's going to care about them you know and they they cost eight hundred thousand dollars to make each of them nobody's in them uh (laughs) and they think that like the whole time their producers are telling them no no it's going to be good because they're going to play on stars so everybody's going to see them not realizing that nobody has stars <laughs> and uh, nobody's going to see this show. And uh, it's just absolutely ridiculous. But they, they're really, they're convinced that they're going to be very successful directors after these movies come out. So I watched this show and it's a great show. I really much enjoyed it. And I hated both of the directors. I just, they're like, their personalities are both very like aggressively irritating in different ways. One of them is a YouTube celebrity. And, um, they they made very different films. One of them made uh, a sort of um, gross-out comedy, the YouTube celebrity. made a gross-out, hard-R, shit jokes, uh, a lot of sex stuff uh, comedy. And then the other character used the same script to make a very down-to-earth, also comedic, m- much more lightly comedic, sort of Garden State-esque, hipster, f- you know, fantasy, goofy stuff you know, uh, whatever movie. Uh, and so I watched that movie. I watched the one that was down to earth and, uh, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it's still pretty forgettable and, uh, lame. It's called Holidaysburg, mm. <laughs> which is just a terrible title. <laughs> they, they were so proud when they came up with that title. They, <laughs> they were so excited. <laughs> Holidaysburg. It's great. Cause it's about this character coming home for the holidays in Pittsburgh. We'll call it Holidaysburg. And, um, yeah, it's just very like Awful. amateur in that it's not amateurly made. Like it's well made because they like, they put together a crew that knows what they're doing, but you can tell the director is never directed. Like the, the story makes no sense. Like nothing that happens in it, like leads to the like there's no like through line of energy through the film or i guess what you'd say it's just like a really weird it plays sort of like a like a link later movie with no substance you know just like nothing happens people are just hanging out with each other but nothing ever goes <laughs> nothing ever happens it's just completely boring and forgettable but um anyway watched holidaysburg can't recommend it and the, of course, the two directors from that series have directed nothing since 2014. So, it wasn't the boost for their careers they hoped it would be. And finally, uh, just before the podcast started, I finished up *Malice*, which is a movie from 1993, directed by Harold Becker, um, and starring Alec Baldwin, Nicole Kidman, and Bill Pullman, and George C. Scott and Anne Bancroft, and Peter Gallagher. Okay. And Gwyneth Paltrow, and BB Newworth, and Tobin Bell. Mm. A lot of actors. All star cast. Um, and it's. Oh, the pedigree on this movie mm. is insane, okay? Written by Aaron Sorkin and Scott Frank. Huh. Scott Frank is Soderbergh's guy, and he also wrote the uh, Queen's Gambit mm. show um, on Netflix. Uh, scored by Jerry Goldsmith. I mean, are you kidding me? L- listen to this. 
shot by Gordon Willis of Godfather what fame. Hell? I mean, are you kidding? So what's the, what's the what's the catch? Yeah. Why is what's it only a three? Okay. <laughs> the catch is the catch is uh, the catch is Sorkin's script, and I say Sorkin because it's very Sorkin. Mm. And there's a there are twists in this script in the last act that do not work for me at all. Um, there's one sort of really big twist at the beginning of the third act that actually I think is actually fine, and it's sort of the entire conceit of the film. Like it wouldn't work without this twist. But what happened? Everything that happens after that twist, and I don't want to reveal what it is because I actually would recommend that you watch this if you have a chance. It's on HBO Max. It's it's very enjoyable uh, watch. It's very easy watch. But um, the twist, everything that happens after that twist is very sort of like, it takes you out of the, the space of this being believable at all. And um, I find the acting gets a little goofy at that point because they're very animated after that. Everybody's screaming and it becomes a, sort of like this weird, uh, cheap mystery. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it kind of a little, fell apart a little bit for me at the end, I guess. Otherwise, it might have been a four. Um but uh, yeah, I thought you know I think all the all the acting is pretty solid. Pullman's doing its best, and uh, Baldwin has a great scene during a deposition. He plays a surgeon in the film, and they tell him he has a he has a, a god complex, and he has this great speech, very reminiscent of like his asshole character at the beginning of Glengarry mm. Glen Ross. This amazing speech, uh, which ends with him saying, "I I don't have a god complex. I am God." <laughs> And it's just, it is the best. You, you, it's so good. It's so well delivered by Baldwin. So, yeah, I would recommend mm. it. You know, it's not a, it's not amazing or anything. It's actually sort of like, I'd say it's kind of in the same vein, um, aesthetically as that movie that we watched, Kevin, for the show Dead Again. Oh, okay. It has that kind of vibe to it mm. a little bit, like that, just like early '90s. Again, thriller. <laughs> Sorry, an early '90s so, thriller. This one maybe is maybe is made a little bit better than that film, but only by the only by virtue of the fact of who's involved making mm. it. Obviously, I mean, you yep. got Jerry Goldsmith and fucking Gordon Willis shooting your shit. It's right. going to be good. You know, it's going to look good and sound good. And so, Harold uh, Becker is not a bad director. I don't think. I mean, there's a few. There's actually two of his films that are on my list of uh, potential mm. deep dives: Taps and Mercury Rising. So I just want to say, I think, you know, as many times as you've said thriller today, I believe I've <laughs> said vibes just as many times. So, um, you know, we're, we're both like on a thing mm. today. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Well, um, that's, that's all for me. So now we can talk about, um, my night at mods, which was our, I don't know if we want to call it a punishment film anymore. It was the film that we had to watch. Uh, JR and I believe were the ones who were supposed That's to watch right, it, right, yeah. Kevin? Yeah. Kev- because yeah, we had fucking seen... won. You fucking <laughs> won and you and you this didn't is, take advantage. This is the problem with having a list full of movies you actually want to see. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody ends up just watching them anyway. I mean, like we're all, we're all like better the, for it. I agree, I agree. So this is directed by Eric Ro- Romer, or Romer, I don't know, how do you say it, JR? I just say Romer, because, I mean, come on. Yeah. Like, let's not fuck we're, around we're here, French. I don't know. Fuck that shit. Um, this is my first Romer film. Kevin, is this mm-hmm. your first Romer? Yeah, that's one of the reasons I wanted to watch it, because I hadn't yeah. seen any Romer movies. 
Right, and I actually started watching La Collection News after this, uh, but I didn't get a chance to finish it yet. Um, I enjoyed my Night at Mods uh, quite a bit. I have a few notes on it, actually. So some of those uh, driving scenes, you know, when he's just driving around Mm. town? Real Night on Earth vibes from those scenes. It's got to be. Uh, an inspiration for Jarmusch, for sure, right? Yeah. For Night on Earth, like I, was, I didn't think I about felt that, very yeah. similar. Huh. That's all I thought about during those scenes. I was like, "This is so much like Night on Earth. It's crazy." But uh, <laughs> sorry, this is my first note. Um, I the the way he wraps himself with that blanket when he goes to Maud's house and he's going to go to sleep on the chair, and he takes the blanket and he wraps it around himself like a towel. Like a woman would wrap a towel around herself, and then he, I was like, "What? What is he doing? Who would put a, a blanket on this way?" You know nothing about French sleep culture. <laughs> <laughs> I, have no, I have no fucking idea. Yeah, that's bizarre. I yeah, I was just very like I wrote the note. I was like, "What the fuck is he doing with the blanket? It's <laughs> completely absurd." I love the actor though. I thought the guy who uh, Jean Louis Trintignant Trintignant yeah okay <laughs> sorry I don't. He's great, man. I guess he was in The Conformist. I don't oh, yeah. remember him being in he's, Is he the star of that? <laughs> he's in a bunch oh, of I stuff. He's in, he's in Z. He's in... Um, shit, where... Uh, he's in a bunch of shit I've seen. So uh, it's good that we're not playing the game with him today. Yeah, I don't... I've never... I mean, I don't... I, I recognized him vaguely, and I've seen a few of his films that he's in, but he was just very, very, like convincing i loved him and i like the idea of it that he's a i liked his portrayal of a religious person because he's like he's not um dogmatic or demagogic like he doesn't he doesn't seem like angry about you know the fact that other people around him are not that way he just kind of like is well this is my deal and i'm catholic and i've got to be catholic you know and i've got rules to follow and I thought it was really, uh, really interesting. Just a really interesting way to portray that. I don't know. I really, yeah, I enjoyed. Yeah. I liked his performance. I really, I, I always say, I think Maude was very good. But I liked his friend too, Vidal, played by Antoine Vitez. Mm. Yeah, that guy was fucking great too. Amazing. I, one of my favorite things about the movie is how quickly and how easily like Maude has him pegged, and. It's like one of the most important lines in the movie is like after Maud comes on to him initially and he like rejects her advances, but then he like is like, actually, maybe, maybe we should do this. And she's like, I like men who know what they want. Um, and that's just like, the whole time. It is clear that this guy has his belief system, but is, is totally not sure where he wants to be or what he wants to do. Um, and you know, he's like, he's so sure that he wants to go after this blonde. Um, and, you know, I I could see, I wonder, like, Kevin, your rating for this was lower. I was wondering if, like, did the end, like, mess it up for you? Were you annoyed that um, that the blonde that he initially married was actually, you know, the woman who was having an affair with, with Maude's husband? Well, I would go a step further, Kevin. Did you understand that that was what he was saying at the end of the film? What? Honestly, no. Uh, I thought... Oh shit! I didn't I th- either. I, thought, I, didn't, I, I had to that, read about I that later. That, um, 
Francoise's lover was Maud. Yes, exactly. I was like, they're lesbians. This mm, is the no. thing. I had no idea. I was I don't, I honestly <laughs> thinking about it afterwards. I don't even know how you would jump to that conclusion. Because she says that, she was having an affair, and we had met Maud, who has gone through a divorce because he was having an affair. Like, I guess I just thought like it was too like it was so clean if if she's the one he's having an affair with. Uh, it, honestly, like th- this part of the movie is like a little too like script one hundred and one. Um, but maybe yeah, I, I guess I jumped to some conclusions. That, uh, that I mean, you're right. Not as, uh, as obvious. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. You, re- I, I, I felt stupid afterwards because I read he when he when he said that he was like, oh, I already know the thing that you know. Uh, I forget how he phrases it, but then he's like, we won't bring it up anymore, you know. And he just immediately like shuts it down, and they just start you know be, being a family on the beach and everything. And, hey, and why I was did, like, I was why like, did they set their stuff up so fucking far away from yeah. the water? I'll be right back. Oh, that's a good question. I know, right? They, they, yeah, that's okay. They ran for like twenty minutes to get to the to get to the ocean. Yeah, but I mean, I, I was, I, I ended up when he said that, I was like, I don't understand what that means. And like Kevin, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, it's their lovers. Like the two women are lovers, and he just doesn't want to think about that because he's religious, and that would be wrong or whatever. And uh, and then I read about it that uh, oh, it's actually that he's she's the one who had the had the affair with what's Maud's husband I was like oh okay well that makes sense too but I didn't get that at all from the movie and I felt like I I just completely missed it and I'm not good at understanding movies <laughs> yeah like uh that was that was one of the reasons like you know I wouldn't say three and a half is like super low but like yeah it was you know one of the one of those deals for me it was like oh you know <laughs> it's like it's like that scene in uh that show black books like um you know, it's about a it's about a French bloke goes into a cafe, orders a cup of tea, thinks, "What did I do yesterday?" And that's three thousand pages. <laughs> yeah, right. Very French. <laughs> yeah, I felt like when I was watching it, I remember thinking about you and thinking that you probably wouldn't enjoy the. There's so much dry philosophical talk in this, you know, just like philosophical debate. Yeah. And uh, for me, it works. I think it makes sense for who the lead character is as a person but um i do find it a little strange that they're all super familiar with pascal but mm. maybe people in france just you know he's a french philosopher and they just love yeah him. maybe so the but wasn't vidal wasn't he um a professor yeah he was in the I mean, philosophy yeah, but, um oh is he a philosophy professor? or he's in like the department from because like when I, they run into when I, uh, him and Francoise, oh, well, hang on. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> nonstop. And uh, sorry, we're like we're butting up against like the time where I kind of thought we'd be done by now. So it's yeah, like, no problem. So Sarah, we can but anyway. Anyway, but um, we can wrap it up re- relatively soon. I definitely got the sense that like both of these guys at least were like intellectuals of, of a sort. Sure. So it wasn't crazy. And, you know, we see the, we see homeboy's notebook and he's got a bunch of math shit in it. Um, and wasn't Pascal a mathematician? Yes. 
uh, yeah, I mean that. I don't have a problem with them both being into it. It's when they they're at Maud's house and they pick up. He, she's got a Pascal okay. book on her bookshelf. It's like, well, I mean, really? Like everybody's obsessed with Pascal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know. it's a little convenient, but I don't sure. have a. It's not a huge issue. I I like all the. I was telling Kevin, I love the the philosophical debates that they get into um, throughout the course of the the night right. in particular. I think the movie looks amazing too. It's like very beautifully shot. It is. It's almost like a like a simple confidence kind of thing too, with like just the way everything is framed and um it's not trying to go like too flashy with the the simple setups of, you know, we're filming in a in an apartment and I was yeah, I really like that. And uh, I had one. I, the only other note I have is not a. It's not a nitpick or one way or the other. It's just a <laughs> observation. When he when he chases down Francoise for the first time, it's snowing on the street. And when he leaves her, he's wearing snow boots underneath his slacks. You can see, so that he doesn't slip. You know, the actor doesn't slip. So yeah, a little bit of a, little bit of a <laughs> mistake there. Moviemistakes dot com. Um, <laughs> Anyway, well, I guess we can move on. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about Appaloosa, which yeah, is. Uh, I just got my. Uh, I'm gonna call it my Appaloosa beer. It's from a brewery called Westbound and Down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Such a hipster. Um, this, so we're gonna watch. Oh, yeah. We're gonna I'm talk so about uh, cool. App- <laughs> Appaloosa, which is from 2008, directed by Ed Harris, starring Ed Harris. Uh, Renee Zellweger, Viggo Mortensen, Jeremy Irons, and lots of other character actors from westerns. And uh, this is uh, a movie about two fellows who are hired, Ed Harris and Viggo Mortensen, are hired by a town who's being sort of harassed by a local rancher played by Jeremy Irons. And uh, they're hired to take care of business, clean up the town, you know? do their thing and they come in and they do and things get complicated because Renee Zellweger shows up and Ed Harris turns into a bumbling idiot around her <laughs> which I'll just say now I love that scene when they're having breakfast and he's just giggling at everything she says <laughs> what I mean it's such a brave choice for Ed Harris to play the role this way, to play this character as sort of a goof at that point, when he, you would know that any other Western would play, he would be such a hard ass that she would have to break the exterior of or something, you know? But in this case, it's like, it's almost like every archetype in the film is being played against that type, right? Like she's supposed to be like the, the poor widow who needs to, you know, be with this uh, man in order to save herself or whatever, but she ends up like being a bit of a floozy, you know, and like that scene where where Mortensen explains it as, you know, she needs to be with like the top dog, the main guy or whatever she's the stallion of the herd, I think is how he puts it. You know, and I thought that's a really interesting idea. Like that's not anything you see in Westerns. Like you never see this character like this, but there's, there's an execution issue right there for me. Like, her characterization is so weird up until like even before she gets uh we'll call it the kidnapped uh mm-hmm. you know held for ransom 
even before that, like, she's just such a weird fucking person. And, like, you know, she plays the piano, but she can't play the piano at all. Um, and I'm so, like, and she's asking Virgil's these weird questions. And at some point, I'm like, is she, like, a, a is she a plant? Is she a reporter who's, like, reporting on Cole? Is she, like, is this some sort of, like, Western noir deal? And she's, like, a femme fatale who's, like, playing him? And her kind of, like, being the floozy after she gets kidnapped, I was like, oh, so she is the femme fatale. She was, like, hired to distract Cole. But then it's like, no, <laughs> we get the, like, the stallion thing. I was, like, legitimately confused by what she was supposed to be. And it required that bit of dialogue to make that clear to me. Uh, which, you know, we could argue is, like, m- it, you know, this is my turn, not understanding something uh, very simple about a movie. But I just, I was... I thought it was all over the well, place. I mean, I won't say that I, I didn't understand it until Mortensen said what he said. And that's a bit of like sort of maybe um, blunt exposition on the part of the film. But I, but, but I think it makes sense from the standpoint of like Ed Harris doesn't know what's going on either, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't read the situation either. He's like, okay, now she's sleeping with this guy who kidnapped her. like, And it's a, it's obviously offending him, but he's like holding it in. And that's when Mortensen is like explaining it away, sort of saying like, well, you know, it's like, it's not exactly like she should be blamed necessarily for it because, or I mean, he's not making, he's not passing judgment on her. He's just saying, you know, this is how she is. It seems like she wants to be with the most powerful guy. And that's why they keep saying like, if he dies, that she's going to go with Viggo Mortensen because he's like next in line or whatever. Right. And I mean, it's, and uh, I, I don't know. I just felt I don't. I don't particularly love Zellweger's performance in this. I think she's. It's. Uh, I mean, I don't know that Zellweger is the strongest actress to begin with, but she's definitely weird in it. She's got like she's weird affectations, weird. and yeah, and she looks very bizarre in it too. Like her, her face is. She's known for having that sort of scrunched fa- features in her face, but man, it's like. 10 times in this movie I feel like she's just so bunched up and red all the time it's very bright out there in the desert yeah (laughs) yeah she's Uh, squinting yeah it's just crazy this was honest this is like kind of a weird place for us to start because I mean Zellweger's character ends up being like more important to the end of the movie um Mm. than I think is is apparent in the first half of the movie um, but like, so for the first like hour, she's just there and she does turn Harris into this fool, but, um, that's, I don't, Renee, Zoe's character, even though it is against type is still just like a bad look for women when she's like your only major female character, you know, and like, that's true. Morrison's got the, the woman that he's sleeping with, but she's just like literally a sounding board for him to like yeah, deliver his his worries to i read um, that uh mortensen is, has been dating that woman ever since the shoot no they're shit. still dating to this day yeah <laughs> i was in the imdb trivia good for know. him um but you know as as far as like the the bumbling ed harris thing i they do make it clear from almost the very beginning that this is a character who is going to let himself be vulnerable. You know, he lets 
Uh, Mortensen help him with his vocabulary, obviously, throughout the whole thing. And I do think that is there to show that, like, he is okay not uh, knowing everything. And he is okay accepting help. I think that the the vocabulary thing gets really tired and it's the thing <laughs> Absolutely. I like. Yeah. It might, it's probably the thing I like the least about the movie. Like just that they're constantly go back to it and it's not executed terribly well. Like when he, like when he says the word, uh, sequestered, he says, sequet, sequet. I was like, yeah. if you can say sequet, how are you yeah. not getting sequester? Like it's just, it's b- ridiculous, you know? But, um, you know, I think that's probably a, a function in the book that probably happens and they just transferred it over. But I do like the idea, again, of him, yeah, him being vulnerable and him allowing himself to be helped and not being like a, the typical sort of, um, you know, badass Western archetype. I like the, the, the poster suggests that he's that badass Western archetype, you know, the black hat and the gun and everything. Well, and the, the first very... couple of minutes suggest that with like the way that he demands control of the town. Sure. Sure. You know, that's kind of and the way the way he handles those first guys that they kill in the bar. I mean, it's very like cut and dry, like, fuck this. I'm going to kill you if you don't, you know, get out of here and fucking does. (laughs) But, uh, okay. So the, just at the very, starting at the very beginning, the narration from Mortensen, we brought it up earlier. Not a fan, okay? It, this does not work for me on any level. I was so mad when it comes back finally at the end. Because like, we get this whole movie, and we didn't have anything as bad as that narration. But then, of yeah. course, we, we end with it. Because, well, I don't know why. Because we, we know what happened. Like, the ending's there. It's, it happened. I don't know why we need the well, narration. apparently the book that this is based on is a series of books, and they were thinking there were going to be sequels to this. So I think that's where the narration comes in. They're like, well, he's riding out into the West or whatever, and he's going to come back in the next one, and you know we're going to have a sequel. But I think this movie probably didn't do very well. I Western's on, on the IMDb page, it, it made twenty seven point five million on a twenty million budget. Which, oh yeah, See, that's I, a, I mean, not good. It's not good, but I mean, this is a low budget movie, and it's you know it was like barely this this was barely a wide release movie, right. So I saw it in the theater, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. I don't, I remember I saw it at the, uh, the theater at the mall. Um, and, uh, I I was probably the only person in the theater watching it, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, uh, I think that's where the narration is probably a studio note. You know, we've got to have something to connect this to the next film, you know, to lead into the next film if there is one. But I hate it. I hate the narrative. I don't think Mortensen does a particularly good job of delivering it. And I think it's poorly written. And it's, it doesn't match the rest of the movie. No, and uh, I mean, I think it matches some of the rest of the movie in that, like, I think this movie has a dialogue problem. Um, mm. It is occasionally, like, way too simple for its own good. And it's, like, attempt to to recall a classic Western style. Um, you know, it's like when, when, when Timothy Spall and gang are, are trying to, to entice or they're trying to get Cole and Everett to, to protect their town. Right. Um, yeah. And Cole is like, should we do it to Everett? And Everett's like, it's what we do with the, like it ends almost like with a question mark. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. 
Uh, simplicity to a fault. <laughs> it's like, you hired Virgil Cole to be Virgil Cole. I'm not sure I understand. There's these these, these weird moments of of just st- of stupid. It's just stupid. Or or when Cole says, uh, you know me a long time. As long as I've known you. <laughs> yeah, I hate that line, <laughs> what too. Fuck, what the yeah. fuck are we doing? That line makes, um, makes no sense. Just, there's the... Like they're trying to like straddle this line again between like very simple but also like like almost like John Wayne catchphrasey. Mm-hmm. Um and that's I'm not being fair to, to John Wayne. Uh he's a hundred fucking movies that don't have catchphrases, but it's uh yeah. That stuff just bugged me throughout the movie. Sure, and I mean obviously it's difficult for a Western in two thousand eight not to be um, lifting from you know successful westerns of the past, especially when you've got actors who are probably, I mean, and a director who's probably into those films. And I agree with you there. I mean, there. But although I will say that, I mean, I think that that's. I agree with your points you're making about that dialogue, and mostly from Mortensen's dialogue, as far as like when he's trying to defend uh, Virgil Cole's completely indefensible actions of beating that guy half to death because he looked at him or whatever he said, <laughs> whatever happened. And, uh, and I mean, I think all that kind of, I don't, you know, I agree with you. Like that dialogue doesn't work and stuff, but I do feel like this movie is attempting, uh, something that a lot of Westerns don't attempt, which is it's overly, overly concerned with authenticity for the time period. And like that, and I, and I know that, not so much from watching the film because I don't know that you get it from watching the film that much. But like, if you, if re- I watch the uh, special features on the Blu-ray, and they they're like obsessed with all kinds of really really minor shit that you would never even think about, and like just from from everything from like the his guns, like the kind of guns they have, the the holsters that they're in, the clothing that they're wearing, the type of construction of the town, and things like this. I mean, they're very very overly concerned with that, which maybe even be a detriment to the to the film overall maybe there were too concerned like a, a michael chimino heaven's gate kind of thing where they're too concerned with the minutia of you know making things authentic and lose quality in the filmmaking but i i, I have a res- i have respect for that like i like the idea of them trying to make it you know as real as possible i like the idea of that but i i still think like what the what the tone the tone they land on, I think, is still. It feels like it's more of a recreation of a recreation. Sorry, of of a specific style of fifties western, not mm. like authentic outlaw west. Um, even if I all agree. of the minutia there is is meant to give that. Um, speaking of like the like you know geography or like the town uh, design, I like, my biggest laugh from this movie was you know they're talking like Renee Zellweger is talking about this house and they're going to build this house and the first time you see the house it looks like it's totally alone like it's not surrounded by anything and right we don't see the house until Ed Harris is like I need you to go out there and and talk to to Ellie about like these fucking curtain choices and it's I'm just expecting he's going to like ride out there on his own it's going to be a day's ride uh, it, just turns, it just turns out that this new house is just at the end of the like the row of buildings of the town. It's it's right there, like it's it's two houses away. 
Yeah, um, for sure. So it's like Rodrigo's not going home at night because he's staying at the jail, but his house is 300 feet away. <laughs> I, just, I thought, I just, I didn't, it was not clear to me how close we were until we saw it. And I just, I laughed. But I think it's not and a you bad know what, thing. Thinking, just thought it was funny. Right. Thinking more about the, um, I, I'm agreeing with you more and more about the uh, the idea that they are sort of like I mean like I said at the beginning they're archetypes but it, it, they're sort of being played against type which I like I think that's an interesting idea but I do agree that it sort of goes against the grain of the movie being authentic for the time period if like you have these characters who are obviously lifts from classic Western cinema you know and it, and thinking about um, there are two actors in this who are also in Gregorio Cortez. And Gregorio Cortez strikes me as something that's more, uh, maybe what maybe what Ed Harris was attempting to get at with the authenticity, you know, because Gregorio Cortez doesn't really feature. I mean, has archetypes as in like you know you've got you've got the traveling journalist guy, you know, and and the 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 sheriff who's leading the posse, and of course the Mexican bandit. But they're very like human. They're humanized characters. Like you believe that they are those people. You know what I mean? Like they don't they don't come across as like caricatures at all, in my opinion. Whereas like Ed Harris in this movie, he's Virgil Cole. He's definitely a he's definitely a caricature of a a specific type of Western hero. He plays it differently. There are things about it that are different, but he's still that that outline, that silhouette, you know, of the classic western hero i like the violence in the movie i'll say that yeah i mean the when jeremy irons i mean we've been talking about the first scene with the narration i think the actual first scene is uh the previous sheriffs uh going up to jeremy irons not hideout but his his land where he's got ranch his ranch thank you um yeah and the way he just like quick fires on these these lawmen is uh mm-hmm. is very quick is pretty surprising even though you can feel like you know there's going to be some violence right here uh and that is is a startling and exciting way to start a movie even if the sheriff himself was like maybe the worst actor in the movie that's fair. I don't. I honestly don't remember his performance specifically. But yeah, I mean, I, I I really I like the I like how now my Blu-ray, the Blu-ray is not great. The sound quality on the Blu-ray, like the sound is crazy low for some reason. I had to boost my volume up to a hundred percent on my TV to hear it at all, and then I had to move my chair really really close to my TV because like the air conditioning in the the my house is louder than the movie okay so i was like this sucks but um i will say that the gunshots overall with the exception of his eight gauge shotgun which is understandably louder than everything else the gunshots are all very like muted and i feel like i don't know if that's like a again that's like an authenticity thing or like a realism thing but like when he fires those shots at the beginning i mean they just sound very like I don't even know how to describe it. There's no, they're not booming at all. You know what I mean? And normally that kind of thing would bother me, but I don't know. It really works for me in this. And it happens again later on whenever they kill those guys in the bar or when Ed Harris shoots those guys anyway in the bar and all of the gunfire really. And I, and I love how quick all of the gunfights are, how sort of, um, intense they are, you know, and, and clumsy and there's no, 
they're not the one thing I did notice is that they have a couple of instances where like Ed Harris versus Lance Hendrickson and they're 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 meeting to have like a quick draw, but they don't draw, they just have their guns out already and they just wait and the first person who lifts their gun, that's like that's the draw. And it happens again with Jeremy Irons at the end, they both just have their guns in their hands. And they just pick them up and start firing at each other. And I thought that was, that was an interesting idea. So that's, again, a sort of um, circumvention, cir- circum- circumvention, is that what you say? I don't know. It goes around the idea of the classic <laughs> quick draw thing, you know, where you're like the quick and the dead sort of thing, where you're pulling it out of your holster really quickly. So I enjoyed that. James Gammon, this is like one of his last movies. He's one of the town's people yeah. who hires them. He's great. I love James Cameron. There's a lot of British actors in this who can't hide their accents. Spall, for instance, and Jeremy Irons. I feel like yeah. their accents came out a few times. They did. That's any, whatever. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I mean really that's not something I'm not. Like, Jer- I'm not going to penalize it, but old, old Jerbear was was more than effective. Even I thought he was know, great. In his role. I, I actually really like the uh, his turn, like his sort of once he's pardoned by the president, and he becomes just like a businessman, and he wants to like put it all behind him. Like part of me is like, yeah, you should just let him put it all behind him, <laughs> like you know, leave him alone. Even though he's a total, like, we've seen him murder people, but it's, yeah. I don't know something about that. That was all. So when he comes back, even though yeah, I I didn't think it was like bad the way that he's characterized once he does come back. When he goes back. Uh, I was like, how many movies is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. I mean, that is <laughs> that's a completely valid criticism. I love the scene on the ridge when they confront those two guys who are, who are looking at them from the ridge, and he just pulls his gun out, and Head Harris just smacks that guy in the face with his gun. And the guy's like, you knocked my tooth out. And then Head Harris says, Colt makes a heavy firearm. That's a fact. <laughs> Great line, great line. So, hold on. I got I got bad news. We're we're running over. Um, oh, I'm sorry. My wife my wife needs this computer. Um, okay. I, so I, I feel bad giving this movie like short shrift because. No, we pretty know, much got I've to covered talk all about. my notes. All right. Yeah, and I hate the score. <laughs> oh, me too. It's like yeah, it's like cheap, shitty. Like it's like '90s Western TV show score. Yeah, it's really like, bad. Really, um, yeah, really I, I made a note about that as well. And yeah, Kevin, Kevin got a, a business call, so we've we've lost Kevin, <laughs> everyone. But uh, so we got uh, this is a messy, messy end. This is going to be a really messy ending. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have to. Uh, we'll <laughs> we'll just I don't know. We'll just we'll end it. Do you want to like no, come no, back we, at a later time or something no, or what? I mean, we so got we still have Letterbox Roulette and everything to do. Let's do ratings. Let's do Letterbox Roulette as quickly okay. as as we can. And uh, okay, and let's go. Okay, this is a three and a half for me. It's really a three point seven five. I still enjoy it. I agree with a lot of your criticisms, but I really enjoy it. So, I'm, I I've been between two and a half and three, uh, so I feel like I'm just gonna go two point seven five. But I'm not sure. Like when I read it on Letterbox, I don't know if that's gonna be a round up or round down, uh, and I'm still undecided. But maybe maybe I'll go up. I feel like you've talked me up on a few of the things, so <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go three All right. on Letterbox. All right. Nice. All right. Well, uh, I don't even know how we're how do we do letterbox roulette with Kevin on the phone. No, we'll we'll just assume that Kevin lost. 
Okay, good. Um, okay, so the first, let's see, six actors. Let me let me get my dice app going here. So we got Vigo, we got Ed Harris, Renee Zellweger, Jeremy Irons, Timothy Spall, and Lance Hamrickson. So everyone's going to work for sure. I agree. You see this? Yep. Was it two? Ed Harris. Eddie. Ed. Eddie. Eddie boy. Okay, this is a good one because I've seen a lot of Ed Harris movies. Right, I've seen a good bit as well. I got 22. Oh, f- Fuck off, JR. God damn it. Does that include Night Riders? No, I haven't logged that yet. Son of a bitch. You've seen the Wayback. See, I haven't seen that. And I've seen 16. God damn it. Well, there's no way Kevin beat 22, so it's no. me and Kevin, I guess. Let me do the random.org 2924. Generating the number now. The number is 2435. Twenty-four thirty-five. Oh no, we might be we might be in the dead zone. I don't think we are. Oh yeah, I don't think we're twenty-four thirty-five. No, we're not in the dead zone. Here, I got it. Oh, oh my god, we got to pick something else. <laughs> it's it sound of metal. No, it's sound of metal. Oh yeah, yeah, we can't do that. That's, yeah, we we literally just we're watched breaking the rules. This. It's so recent. Yeah, it's okay. Eight oh six. The other number. Eight oh six. All right, is, is this yeah. too long? I don't know. What is it? It might. Yeah, this. So we could repick again. This actually goes oh, over our minutes limit. It's New, New York, New York. New York. York. Oh, I would watch New York, New York. Has Kevin seen this? Oh, Kevin hates this movie. He just watched this. Okay. Yeah, we'll have to do one it more. One more. Okay, one more. Let's do and it. I gotta go. Sixteen, sixteen forty-five. <laughs> I know this is a nightmare. Sixteen forty-five. This is the first. Like this is the first time where we've had to. Enact our new rules of repicking. Yeah. Sorry, what number? Sixteen forty-five. I'm on it. I got it right here. It's. Let's Seven see. Hours it's long. the harder they come. It's a. Uh, oh, okay. Pimp, black exploitation movie. Yeah. I think. No, it's a Jamaican movie. It's one of those Jamaican crime. Yeah. Things. Okay, let's do it. All right, starring Jimmy Cliff. So we're gonna watch the harder they come. What's and your pick my for pick next is... time? A non-traditional uh, documentary called, from 2010 called The Arbor, which uh, okay. I will get to you guys. And uh, yeah, awesome. from director Cleo Bernard, I'm pretty excited to rewatch this. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that, too. So thanks for listening. Sorry about the <laughs> ridiculousness of this last five minutes of the podcast, but, well, you know, it happens. And uh, we're going to be watching The Arbor next time. Until then, email us at filmyakpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website, filmyakpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram at filmyakpodcast. And uh, thanks for listening. See you later. Bye-bye. I don't think so. I don't think I'm meant to understand myself. Maybe you do. And that's good for